0: I could feel at the time, there was no way of knowing, fallen leaves in the night, who can say where they're blowing? Hello,
1: ladies and As gentlemen, three. welcome to the B-side As As for the film stage. Here, we talk about movie stars, but not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones that they made in between. And today we have a returning guest along with me and Connor, our very good friend, Topsy Kretz. Topsy,
0: <laughs> how are you doing today? Uh, better than I was doing during the Topsy Kretz episode, I will yes, tell you that. That's
2: true. That's, that's true. So
1: that voice you hear is uh, our lovely friend, Evan Cutler-Waddles, who we know for many years. He's a filmmaker, editor, the man who runs Silent Face, great company, and um, obviously a good friend of the podcast what's up evan so jim carrey was the last time you were here and we we decided to keep the funny man train rolling with you how's it been how's your quarantine been uh
0: not funny uh
2: (laughs) man not,
0: (laughs) not funny man yeah not at all uh i mean i don't know for the first like few weeks i was like you know what don't go outside don't interact with people like i've been preparing for this my whole life uh right seriously And then, you know, I'd say like, honestly, I made it like six weeks of being into it. And then, I mean, obviously sad about the deaths and everything, but, uh, boy, was it nice isolating. And then I, I just kind of lost my mind for a while. Uh, that's where I'm still at right now. How are you guys doing? (laughs) No,
1: I I think, (laughs) I think you, I think you speak for all of us, right? I mean, that's kind of the deal. I think it's kind of. Yeah. I think the first couple months you're like, Oh, this is nice. I have some time, you know? Right. And then, and then, um, I think we're all lucky cause we all, right to some capacity. We're able to keep working. And then, but then I was saying to Kelly, like, I feel bad complaining about my work because you know, I'm, I, I'm lucky to work. So I don't want to complain about it. You know what I mean? But at the same yeah. time you want that outlet, you want that, you want that place to go. So it's just funny. It's like, the Zoom meetups with friends it falls away because everything becomes normalized and it just, you know, it becomes just another thing. Um, I wanted to. So let me just do some housekeeping. We're talking about Bill Murray today, the one and only Bill Murray and the movies. I'll just right off the top, I'll list them. They're mostly early Bill Murray B-sides. We're going to do Where the Buffalo Roam" from 1980, The Razor's Edge from 1984, Quick Change from 1990, the only movie he ever directed, and Mad Dog and Glory from 1993. So those are our four movies. I will also say... I snuck in a little larger than life <laughs> the, the, the Bill Murray and his elephant movie. And I also snuck in the more recent rock, the casbah in my kind of preparing for this podcast. So I'll just quickly mention those, but those are not our primary sides. Um, a few shout outs, uh, just, uh, PSAs before we get going, I've been lucky enough to watch a few things that friends of ours, friends of mine have made, uh, that are available, and I just wanted to give him a shout-out. So, a friend of me and Connor's from many years ago, we worked on a movie together, uh, our buddy Brian DiLorenzo, he made a movie called The Myth, which is on Amazon Prime now, and is an interesting movie. It's, it's you know, he obviously made it for not a lot of money, and it's all there on the screen. It's, I don't want to, it's a kind of a twisty movie, so I won't give too much away. It's basically a young man who is, admires this elusive filmmaker Uh, through happenstance, befriends the filmmaker. And the filmmaker is actually played by Nicholas Tucci, who is a good actor who sadly passed away, I think, earlier this year at far too young of an age. He gives a great performance. So that's a movie I would recommend just in terms of kind of indie thriller genre. That's available right now on Prime Video if you want to give that a look. Our buddy Joe Bandelli, uh, me and Connor, uh, who we actually work with a bit, he is a very talented producer, and he made a movie called produced a movie called Hell House LLC. I think came out in 2015. Um that's on Prime and that shit scared me. And I I feel like I'm an easy audience for for scares, but I legitimately it's found footage. It totally works. They have this clown character in it that haunts my dreams to this day, haunts my nightmares to this day. I saw I watched it like 2 weeks ago. So that's another one to recommend. Um and speaking of our guest, our good buddy Evan Provided his lovely voice for the most recent episode of Fathom, which is this new story podcast experiment experiment of sorts that I put together with a few buddies. Connor's helped uh, as well with his voice, and so Evan is in the most recent episode if you're listening right now called Transformative Healing, and he adds some nasally thin creepiness to the to the to the end of the episode, which was much appreciated. So, check any of those things out. Fathoms on any podcast, you know outlet you listen to you know i i always pimp spotify it because that's what i use but but uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts and that's kind of it you know i guess in the wake of the paramount decree getting torn down Ugh, by the God. federal judge I, um, yeah, which I, evan, I just evan do you know about this maybe no. not. so you know how in 1948 you might you may or may not know about this in 1948 there was a ruling made by the courts um which basically prevented movie studios from owning movie theaters because yeah. it was a monopoly, right? So it was an antitrust case. And it before that, basically, like, if you were Louis B. May or what have you, you could own movie theaters and put only your movies in them. That ruling that has, you know, stood up for the last 72 years got decided against only days ago, and that decision you know kind of anti-monopoly decision uh was basically reversed so there's a world potentially in the future where netflix is owning theaters and amazon prime is owning theaters and disney's owning theaters and so that'll be weird a new thing yep yeah (laughs) um but yeah it's been you know much much to do much to do on film twitter and whatnot so yeah it's like it's a it's a strange sad moment we'll see what comes of it but
0: um anyway um yeah it's i mean on the one hand i don't know that theaters are doing so great right now right so maybe blessing in corporate nightmare disguise exactly Uh, my
1: my yeah my contention is i was saying this on on the film stage slack it you know AMC so it depends right like if AMC ends up getting owned by Universal right what's scary of course is you just don't get like where I live in Pittsburgh right I saw a Portrait of a Lady on Fire in the theaters at an AMC right because in places like Pittsburgh where there aren't a lot of other theaters not a lot of independently owned theaters you know the AMCs will have a screen for a smaller film like that for a Fox Searchlight film well now Fox Searchlight's Disney but for like a a focus features film or for an A twenty four film or whatever. Sure. They'll have a, they, they may have a screen for that. So the thought would just be, if that goes away in more kind of middle America places, you would just hope there's still a uh, place for independent theaters to exist, which who knows? I think maybe there's the real estate will be there. Obviously it's just more like, will the audience be there? Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Like, does A24 just buy theaters? I don't know. Like, does it can an independent chain, independent production company survive with that model? Eh. Do they need to survive with that model? Maybe not. I mean, that's sad to say. You hate to say that, but obviously, you know, it's with each passing day, the theater model is being kind of tested as we go through this. So it's an interesting moment for sure.
2: Um, And and like, you run into a a situation where even hypothetically, you're not even getting a theater populated with like good Disney owned movies across like Disney and 20th Century Fox. Cause like a big part of the Paramount decree was to prevent block booking, right. Where, you yeah. know, where that, you know, that's where B movies came from, right. Where studios would shoehorn in B movies that would have to be licensed with their A movies. Right. So Yeah, Uh, so that they could make some money back on them. And you have to wonder, like, obviously, Disney releases like an Artemis Fowl on Disney Plus, because that will lose the least amount of money for them. Right. They're just they can kind of toss it up there. But in a world where they could potentially make money off of it, while also costing them nothing to just tack it on to Avengers eight or whatever. Right. And send that to a theater and say, hey, if you want the new Avengers movie, you also have to screen Artemis Fowl and then they make something out of it.
1: Yeah. The thing that gets lost a little bit is Disney is already strong arming these chains, right? It's like, So we already know that like, traditionally theaters get 50% of the box office receipts, right? And then they make their real money in the concessions, right? That's how theaters survive. With the Disney movies in the age of Marvel... Disney has basically been insisting up to 60% of the box office receipts, which is obviously unprecedented in terms of, you know, the norms of the deals. But of course, Disney, what what are you going to say no to Disney? Like they're the ones providing you with the Avengers, providing you with the kind of event movies that people pay to go see. So it's hard to say no to the 60%. And you even see it now with theaters like in AMC, struggling and trying to make peace with universal and stuff because they're just trying to literally survive. So to your point, Evan, it's like, sadly, this ruling might end up saving movie theaters, but at the expense of them becoming homogenous, even more than they already are, which seems crazy. But let me just, as I screw back to Bill Murray, I had a thought, and this is super stereotypical of me, but I'm going to do it anyway. I listed our four movies. I, If I had to guess, sight unseen, which one would be the favorite of each of us, just knowing the three of us, I would have guessed, knowing me, my favorite would be The Razor's Edge, because that's a
0: very me movie, sure. very kind it's of. It's MechaCore. I was, very, I was thinking that the entire time yeah. I was yeah, watching like it. Yeah, like
1: Dan must like this movie, yeah. yeah. um, I And Evan, this is not gonna surprise you, I would of course guess where The Buffalo Roam would be your favorite movie. Interesting. Or and this is where maybe Connor and Evan connect. Um, quick change, of course, made me think of Connor because there's a the cynicism that's mixed with beautiful comedy, in my opinion, and the anti-New York slash love of New York that is in it makes me think of something connor would love but at the same time evan maybe maybe you too so that's just my 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 thought uh jumping into it and we can kind of use that to start with uh, our first movie where the buffalo room which is directed by art linson in which bill murray plays hunter s thompson and i guess evan why don't you start tell us a little bit about your bill murray when did you first fall in love with bill murray and how did you receive where the buffalo roam?
0: Well, uh, I have an interesting relationship with Bill Murray. Um, in so as I've never been a big fan. Right. Uh, I when I was a you know I mean when I was a kid I really liked Ghostbusters but I Dan Aykroyd was my guy in Ghostbusters. Wow. Really? Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I also like so my first favorite. Can actor, we rank the four Ghostbusters? I would love that. Okay. I, oh, ra- I would, rank rank
2: yeah. them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna real quick. Okay, go ahead. Uh I because I to me, acroids last. Wow. To me, so, to me, it's Murray,
0: Ramus,
2: Hudson,
0: Aykroyd. As an adult, uh, I would probably go Ramus Murray Hudson Aykroyd. Yeah, that would be my ranking exactly. As a child. I mean, so like, also, when I was a kid, the first actor whose name I knew, <laughs> and like regularly looked for in movies, uh, was Bill Pullman. <laughs> oh, I love it! Nice. I, and I, I, to this day, I love Bill Pullman. Uh, but like, I, I was not a, you know, I, uh, my comedic sensibilities did not lean towards uh, the sort of like nihilistic witty cool dude uh bill murray there's actually in uh not to jump ahead but in uh mad dog and glory one of the criticisms that robert de niro's character gives bill murray's character where he's like you gotta stop like maybe point some jokes towards yourself like don't only make fun of other Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. i feel like that is a great criticism of bill murray himself that I have I that felt since thought. day yes.
2: one. I think that's a I, I'm glad you brought that up early because I think that's something that applies to the pivot in his overall career and like when it gets better. And like and not and like look, like I I I enjoy his early stuff, obviously, but like when you when you actually start to think of him as like really good actor Bill Murray, right? Like in the later stage of his career. Um I think it's because he looks a little more inward and maybe f- focuses a little bit more on like some inner uh, angst or insecurity or like deep rooted sadness well, that yeah, like, and think, really and I, makes him excel.
0: Sure. And I,
1: and I think this some of the stuff he's exploring in where the Buffalo Rum and Razor's Edge, like nascently, amateurishly, let me say, he like taps into fully uh in those later years because in the late 90s basically the one-two punch of larger than life and the man who knew too little which are both howard franklin is involved in both who uh, directed um co-directed quick change with bill murray um that's kind of what you're talking about connor that's like when people are like okay bill maybe not like they they kind of stop seeing the movies the movies aren't hitting as hard and then you have that period where into the millennium. He then kind of coffee and cigarettes, lost in translation, things start to change. Obviously, Broken Flowers, like but Rush, um,
2: Rushmore. And oh, Rushmore. I always
1: forget. I always forget about Rushmore. Yeah. Uh, Royal Ten Bombs, obviously, yep, he's into. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's a great point, uh, Evan, because so we're in the Buffalo Room. Okay. So. You're Evan. You're saying you're not a huge Bill Murray fan in general. Me and you were talking about this a little bit before we recorded. I I tend to agree. I for me, my Bill Murray, like my Bill Murrayness was was basically holy Caddyshack, right? Caddyshack in the Mecca family is like is like the peak, right? Like you know you you'll hear you'll hear people say like, oh, I don't get why Caddyshack
0: is funny, blah blah blah. Like that's a very common thing people say. But I that's totally actually get it. that's like his least cool dude funny movie yeah, totally. he's yeah. he's the butt of jokes and, exactly. and he's like yeah. my like, the entire time kind of like yeah yeah and i he's so much more likable in it because of that for me yeah uh it's one of the there's like four movies for me personally where I, if i was stuck with this character i'd be like i enjoy this person's company right. uh razor's edge being one of them uh Right. None of the other ones we watched was I like, I this is a likable human.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So, and so, yeah, so we're the Buffalo Rome. So I'll start, I'll I'll just start, I guess, the criticism of it. I really don't like this movie. Um, I really don't. I didn't. It's my least favorite of the four. It's my least favorite of the six that I watched. I liked it less than the Elephant movie. I liked it less than Rock the Casbah. And those are not strong pictures, let me tell you. I just and it has a lot to do with the Bill Murray performance and i think it has as much to do with Hunter S Thompson in general this is just something i'm i've had to come to terms with as as a as a reader as a i he's just not my guy he never has been um i read or reread the rolling stone piece that a lot of this movie is based on where he goes to the super bowl um it's just incoherent nonsense it's not funny i don't like it, it it's like thousands of words i just find it churlish and stupid and condescending and like i find a lot of the shit that hunter s thompson did to be like that like i get the gonzo thing i get why people love him but if we're gonna go that way i'll take bukowski five times in a row before i will go to hunter s thompson like
2: that's i mean that's a good comparison because i feel like i feel like you know I, I certainly had, like, a Hunter S. Thompson phase. Sure. I feel, I feel like a lot of people did, right? But I feel sure. like... I, I don't necessarily know if it's, like, an either-or thing, but I feel like if you had a Hunter S. Thompson phase, you probably also had a Bukowski phase. You, like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's a very, like... It, it, I don't know. It, it, I feel like they kind of go hand-in-hand, hand. and what's annoying about where the Buffalo... And I'll say, frankly, like, every hunter s thompson adaptation that i have seen which i mean have there been more than
1: three no there's just the three it's just fiction fiction wise it's just all
2: of them right i feel like focus so much on the antics right and it's like look at the crazy stuff that (laughs) that this dude gets into that like like the the interesting thing about hunter s thompson isn't even necessarily the writing it's like the writing it's like the whole man as a package right well, it's like the weird yeah. you know intricate contradictions of like him being an activist but also like a crazy gun nut and like all of these things that maybe didn't necessarily seem like they would like mesh together and what's annoying about something you know particularly when you look at it you know with where the buffalo roam is that it it feels so heavy on those antics right and and it and it doesn't really take the opportunity to like really explore sort of the interesting contradictions of him being like you know a a, a morally politically minded person but also like you know like an amoral miscreant
0: right it's also for me like the i i i personally loved hunter s thompson in high right. school went through the massive uh cliche Hunter S. thompson face sure. doing the impression uh you know well, we got on the honor right. we got to
1: put up the photo of you right that you sent us as yeah. as,
0: as raul uh, what's his name yeah Ra, uh, raul, duke. Uh, raul duke raul yeah. duke yeah uh yeah i mean i uh, i thought he was the coolest yeah. uh but you know i also thought that there was no author better than chuck Palahniuk at times well, in my it's, life yeah, like, pal, pal, palinux in that in that world too yeah like totally it's yeah. that like i am i am 15 years old uh i am starting to learn things about the world outside of my like middle class bubble uh and i'm gonna rebel against it because mom and dad don't understand so you read the palinuk and you read the hunter s thompson and you kind of you don't really like get the fact that like to, so to me like to become the human being that hunter s thompson was it, it there is a lot of pain that has to lead lead to that sure like yeah. if if your obsession becomes being literally constantly inebriated uh and shooting guns and going like zero to 60 or 60 to uh, 120 constantly. Uh there's got to be some sort of catalyst that I would so much rather see on film than a man in a bathroom with Richard Nixon. And Which,
1: like yeah, right. And, then, and then so so that really happened, but it wasn't Nixon, it was another politician, right? And like the Super Bowl So that's the thing. This movie just to kind of it's not a straight narrative art. Like I said, Art Linson directed it. Um, Thompson is credited as a consultant, but he himself kind of admitted he barely was on set or didn't take any part in a lot of the rewrites because he didn't want responsibility for being a failure, even though there are contending like Linson basically said in the original screenwriter that they rewrote scenes. Right. So there are, like anything with Thompson, who knows exactly what part of it's true. Bill, Bill Murray stated he you know was very method about the role. Other SNL cast men, members said basically when he got back from filming over the summer he, he at SNL, he still was doing the Thompson persona and it was hard for him to get out of it. Bill Murray said uh, the same thing. I know, I know. <laughs> I, I, here's the problem though. And this is, it kind of brings me, I was saying this to Kelly. Thompson's got that very specific voice. And I think... I don't leave in love fear and loathing the way other people love it, but Depp who, you know, loved Hunter S Thompson and to the point where he, Depp was the one who discovered, rediscovered the rum diary, right? You know, yeah, people right. forget yeah. the reason the rum diary diary got published is because Depp was hanging out with Thompson going through his shit and was like, Oh, hunter what's this literally and right? you know and, what's, that was, and that's
2: that's that, like the only thing frankly from my hunter s thompson phase that like i would probably stand by boom
0: i a hundred percent agree it's, like the Rump Rump Diary it's is good like it's the like bu- it you, is the, the, yeah. the, bu- the book and it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's because yeah. that's it's just what I was talking about. It's that like early stages of the man before you know he doesn't do any drugs in that book. He just he, he drinks a he lot, like, but like he drinks a lot. Yeah, yeah. but he he you know he's a uh, what is he saying? It he's like I had become a suckfish, like just yeah. leeching onto society. Well, it feels and, like it
2: feels self-deprecating and self-aware, and like you're. And at least in this, in the grand scheme of Hunter S. Thompson, it it's like, it reads like an origin story. Like you're like, ah, where did this
1: fucking well, and the insane pro- the dude pro- come I from? I think the problem with the movie is it shouldn't have been Depp. Right. Yeah. You know, if you're gonna get, you sure. know, Depp, Depp shepherded it, and he got it made. Wasn't like, it yeah, almost he-
2: gonna be Josh Hartnett for like two seconds?
1: I don't, I don't really know, but but, but <laughs> should like, have been somebody. That, young. It should have been somebody young, yeah. yeah. Because look, Depp got Bruce Robinson to direct it, his first feature film since Jennifer yeah. Eight, you know, like which is really cool. Like that's awesome. Everybody loves with with Nail and I. It's a great movie, right? So I think it could have been a good movie. I think the Depp casting is a part of the problem because yeah, you just not. You already know him as Raul Duke. You already know Fear and Loathing, which was successful in its culty way, and. And it just doesn't work. The the last thing I'll say, just bring it back to where the buffalo room. I think the reason Fear and Loathing works more as a film, and the reason that Where the Buffalo Room ultimately is just kind of a boring picture, I think, is yeah. what Terry Gilliam gets, which of course makes so much sense, is if you go, if you are going to do a Gonzo future film, the visual palette needs to be the first thing. Like you can't just make a movie like where the Buffalo room, where it's just the stories one after the other. And there's no flair. Like the camera is just sitting there watching him do crazy things. That's not that exciting. Yeah. That's basically a version of Caddyshack. And it doesn't help that th- those movies basically came out in the same year. And the v- the voice just kind of sounds like Carl Spangler, you know, probably, right, right. probably shouldn't do the voice. Right. It reminded me of, um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt doing the Edward Snowden voice, yep. Snowden, where it's oh, like yeah. I don't even think it's a bad performance. It's like you are choosing to do a person's very specific weird right. voice, as opposed to by, just exuding the
2: aura of that person.
1: Right? You're making yeah. a choice that I yeah. think I w- you wish Oliver Stone had said to Gordon Levitt, "Hey man, like let's maybe dial it back." But of course, we're talking about Oliver Stone, and then it's like Art Linson, just it just didn't seem like he had the control of the or the budget or what have you. There's just not a lot there. And like Peter Boyle, who's credited, who's first credited in this movie, who plays the uh, the lawyer. I mean, he's like, it's kind of brown facey. They like changed his last name. So it's not that. Yeah. But it, yeah. And like, the, obviously, the Benicio casting is so much better. And it's more you appropriate. Know, yeah. 15 years later. And I just think Gilliam got that the most important thing should be the acid flare of the frame. Sure. Well, and that's kind and I, of the And problem. I think
2: Depp's performance compared to Murray's performance, I think I think Depp's performance understands that a little bit more too, right? Like, it's a little more manic. It's a little bit more... There's something, like, slightly more grounded about Murray's Hunter S. Thompson, which, which, t- to be fair, I guess, is a little bit more in line with the movie, like, with their
1: respective films. But... It, it, well, and also I found, I found Murray's performance to be a little bit winking, yeah. which, which is, which is, we'll talk about also in the razor's edge. I think like, I don't love broken flowers as much as everybody. I like it a lot. By the time you get to broken flowers and uh, Connor, you said this before, mm. there is a, there is a deep sadness yeah. that is present in him not even perform the in bill murray the person that when you watch razor's edge or where the buffalo roam i don't know that he had it yet right and he obviously was searching for it um but there seems to be a little bit too much especially where the buffalo roam there seems to be a little bit too much like hey guys i'm playing hunter s thompson the crazy right you know yeah. and yeah, i just yeah. don't i don't love that i don't love that
2: yeah i don't know i like I don't think I. I don't think I'd recommend this movie really in any capacity. Other than I, I'll say this: like, if you are someone in the middle of a Hunter S. Thompson phase, like we just described, uh, more power to you. And if you want to just check the movie off your list just to see what it looks like to see Bill Murray play Hunter S. Thompson, fine.
1: Um, but yeah,
2: but there. I mean, you know, I don't know. You could. I
1: I think Evan, I'm, you'll agree with me on this, right? I think. <laughs> it's important for people to go through these stages. Like I, so I, this is the criticism of Honduras Thompson. I'm glad he exists. Like sure. he, he speaks to the counterculture as it was. He speaks to the burnout that happened in that world. And I think it's important to acknowledge every facet of that. And like, and like, you know, bringing it to Bukowski, that stuff changed my life. Like reading Bukowski's shit, watching Barfly with Mickey Rourke, watching Factotum with Matt Dillon when it came out in 06, right? Which I was, I remember I was so excited for Factotum because I I'd already been into Bukowski and I had already read the screenplay for Barfly and I would already loved Barfly. And like, by the time Factotum came out, it was like all I wanted, you know what I mean? And Matt Dillon being uh, Chinaski was so cool. And that's another kind of, I think, underrated, like those, the two Bukowski film adaptations, I think are actually very good, actually. Um, but that shit's important. Like you should read Paluk. Uh How do you pronounce it? Paluknik, Palak? Palanuk, 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 Yeah. You should read Palanuk. You should read Fight Club, Choke, Survivor, whatever the All fuck. The, right. Like Pop Fiction. Right. Yeah.
2: The I, Goosebumps th- for adults. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and and like
0: and like, there's an audience for that, and there should be. And like, uh, you know, and, anyway. And so, Sorry. Go ahead, Evan. Well, I think uh, so. Like, I, too, am very grateful that I had those stages. I think that Hunter S. Thompson allowed me to appreciate, like, nihilism and cynicism uh, at a younger age than maybe I would have otherwise uh, and better prepared me for the real world. Um, Because I was, you know, I finally like I uh, Obama's second term. I'm like, oh, this is what he was talking about. (laughs) this Dude. is what yeah the promises that we had that aren't coming true like oh exactly i get it right. okay uh i think that you know Bukowski prepared me for uh for alcoholism and misogyny like super well um <laughs> yeah i mean i mean I, uh, but th- so like my my big thing with those is that I'm I'm grateful for those phases because they paved the way for the things that I appreciate as an adult and they all have uh uh you know some level of like if I go back and watch it actually Dan you and I uh saw Fight Club in theaters in like 2012 I want to say probably the last time I've seen it honestly yeah yeah it was the last time I saw it and I remember thinking uh, it was like one of the first examples of like, oh this this isn't what it was when I was thirteen. I I think uh, me and you uh, we must have walked out of the theater having that conversation. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And uh, that said, there is still a lot in that movie that I'm like, oh, oh totally. I really love how there are aspects to this that made me appreciate uh you know Jean-Pierre Jeannet or uh uh Charlie Kaufman to a certain degree uh, of mm-hmm. just like well they're
2: like they're they're gate they're gateways right they're like 101 totally. on, they're like 101 courses in certain things i say this a lot like as it pertains to a filmmaker like Darren Aronofsky where it's like it there's a place for filmmakers like that and this isn't even this isn't a knock but it's like it is that it is that sort of sophomoric level of like w- watered down versions of maybe other things that are a little bit more nuanced and a little bit more interesting, but they're gateways, right? Like totally, if, if watching, if watching, you know, the fountain gets somebody to watch Solaris, right? Like, which is
0: literally what it did for me. That's what I'm saying. Like if it gets
2: you to stalker, right. Or like that, that kind of stuff, like if it, if it broadens this thing of, of seeking out other stuff of people who either, Maybe not even necessarily did it first, but maybe did it better or whatever. Um, I think there's yeah. a place for all that. And say and to your point, Dan, like same thing with with Thompson. It's it's that like it's a it's a to me, it's a good sort of tunnel into counterculture.
0: I do think it's kind of funny that uh and I agree wholeheartedly that Hunter S. Thompson, whose work is largely uh uh like it's just, I mean, it's, it's basically like I did a bunch of drugs and I, I also did this thing. Uh, yeah. and, and oddly he's like the marijuana of counterculture introductions. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. He's the yeah. gateway drug, but he's not the hard drugs, right. you know? Um, yeah. I mean, my, you gotta get, I mean,
1: you like, and I could be wrong about this, but like in my, in my reader's mind, a guy like Huntress Thompson is the thing that gets you to Henry Miller,
0: a hundred percent. Right, where you're like, 100%. you get to Tropic of Cancer, and you're like, oh, okay, okay I see, I see, I see, I see. Well, right, see, or something like, like that. Yeah. I so he he his like darkness, while also having a level of silliness, uh, uh, which I think you know Kurt Vonnegut had with more like a lighter, obviously very different authors, but like like Vonnegut was much lighter uh, and like embraced the silliness. And I think that his work has lasted or, you know, I appreciate it as an adult more because of that. Uh, But they really like paved the way, like I would not have read. uh, I'm not going to name any of them because you can't start talking about postmodern books without sounding like a a jerk, but I would not have read a lot of the stuff that remains my, favorite books to this day yeah. uh had i not had that appreciation set in me from a young age um and i think the biggest the thing that made fear and loathing successful uh and where the buffalo rome unsuccessful is that fear and loathing acknowledged that darkness and cynicism uh and futility uh, Yeah in a way that where the buffalo rum just doesn't come close where the buffalo rum's just a silly man doing silly things and a world not reacting to him like he he injects a nurse with a needle that and she does nothing yeah he assaults two bellboys and they do nothing yeah
2: that that shit is the stuff. And this is to your point, Dan, about the sort of the way the movie's shot and treated, where you're, you're sort of a bystander, right? You are objectively watching these things as opposed to inside sort of the acid-ridden lens of Hunter S. Thompson. Like you're watching him do this stuff, and you're like, why is nobody nobody cares? Nobody's stopping yeah. this. Like, I don't I I don't like this. Stop it from happening. And that's like this whole movie. And it's, and it's, it's. It sucks, I think, because—and this, I think, is more of a commentary f- for Murray at large in his career. And I lar- I, I like him. Uh, but it is a thing that you—I can see the potential of some of these earlier projects if he had unlocked what he unlocks later in his career a little bit sooner. Because you'd think that maybe if he taps into that, like— deep-seated cynicism and sadness and bitterness in something like where the Buffalo room, maybe he plays a better Hunter S Thompson, right. Um, as opposed to kind of clowning his way through it.
1: Um, I mean, he, so just for context, he came on the second season of SNL, right? Chevy left. And the way that worked was, you know, Bill Murray was with all those two. He was like the one who didn't get in on the first season. Right. So when Chevy left, Bill Murray came in and kind of was anointed by the audience and by the cast members kind of as like the sa- the savior of the show in a lot of respects, right? Then they famously came to blows when Chevy guest hosted not too long after that. And then they filmed Caddyshack and the producers had to insist they film a scene together because they were the two biggest stars and they basically refused to like talk to each other. So that's that beautiful non-sequitur scene in Caddyshack. One of the most awkward, funny things you'll ever see in a movie is two men who, two of the funniest men of their time who absolutely fucking hate each other, basically improv-ing what is one of the funniest scenes I think ever. And it's like done totally at gunpoint, totally in like one take, right? Basically on a master, they hate each other. They can't stand being in the same room, right? Like, so that's all beautiful. And and before long, right, like he is a bona fide star. This comes very early, 1980 in his career. It's obviously four years before Ghostbusters. And I think it speaks to the thing I, as a transition to Razor's Edge, the thing that you see with Murray that you have to appreciate is even when he's not ready for these properties he's pursuing them and trying to get them to the masses yeah yeah
2: which i do which i
1: do think is impressive he's making choices like he's making 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 interesting choices choices. And, and, and so razor's edge which i think even more than where the buffalo roam was a passion project for him what's interesting about razor's edge is it's a w somerset mom Novel. It's based on. It's the second adaptation. There's a 1946 picture that starred Tyrone Power and Gene Tierney that got nominated for Best Picture. It's an epic of its time. I, I watched it this morning. It's a very, very different movie. Way more down the middle. N- no laughs in it. Right? Like th- when they did the remake, they decidedly chose to to do to do it to go a different way, um, which I think in one way is smart, in another way isn't. Um, what's funny though is Somerset Mom. For his time is kind of this is gonna sound funny, but he's kind of like a proto hunter-s kind of a guy because it's he's very buttoned up, painted veil, and all that shit. But Razor's Edge is basically the like white anglo version of like maybe this is all kind of bullshit and we should really take a look at what we're doing and like go find ourselves Yeah, Yeah, thing. yeah. that's kind of what the book is, and that's obviously basically razor's edge is bill murray who you know one of his only writing credits this movie right Co- co-wrote with the director um they drove across the country writing the script allegedly um this is his like adult where the buffalo roam in a sense where he's like what if i really tactfully try to observe what what is fu- what futility actually looks like and the thing that i think is interesting is like it's to me, the Razor's Edge, which made no money, cost $12, $13 million, made six. It came out basically four months after Ghostbusters. The only reason it got made is because Dan Aykroyd, Evan's favorite person, suggested to Sony Columbia, I think they were just Columbia at the time, that Bill Murray star in Ghostbusters and they financed the Razor's Edge. So without Ghostbusters, there is no The Razor's Edge, and probably without The Razor's Edge, there's no Ghostbusters, which is mm-hmm. interesting. Um,
2: it's like a uh, just a classic one-for-me, one-for-you
1: type-, exactly. type situation. And, yeah. you know, he really went out. Bill Murray really tried to promote this movie. Like, you can find him on Letterman. You can find him on all these different local, like, different stations talking about it. He really loved it. He wanted it to do well. It didn't do well. I think it kind of broke him. He doesn't star in a movie for four years after this, right? He has his cameo in Little Shop of Horrors, and he, the next movie he makes is Ghostbusters 2, which he, like, openly does not give a shit about and, yeah. like, has since said and he you, did like, not you, like now, doing it.
2: Like, I have a fondness for that movie just because of its constant rotation on, like, Comedy Oof. Central when I was younger, obviously. I, I do not. Uh, but no, sir. no, but I, I agree. Like, re-watching it, yeah. Um there's still gags and jokes in it that I like, but him particularly you're just kind of like oh yeah like you there is no part of you that wants to be here and I'll like, just, at all
1: and there's an entertainment weekly piece that came out in 1993 probably right before uh groundhog day where they go through his filmography up to that point and murray comments on each movie and i'll link to this in the article on where the buffalo Romy says, I rented a house in LA with a guest house that Hunter lived in. I'd work all day and stay up all night with him. I was strong in those days. I took on another persona and that was tough to shake. I still have Hunter in me. Cool, whatever. And then the, <laughs> raz- the, ra- sorry, the razor's edge, this is more interesting. Like the razor's edge quote, he says, I kind of deluded myself that there would be a lot of interest. I made a big mistake. The studio wanted to make it a modern movie, and I said, no, it should be a period piece. I was wrong, and they were right. The day I finished shooting, I said, if this never comes out, the experience will have been worth it. I still feel that way. Now, The Razor's Edge. What did we think of the movie? Connor, what did you think of The Razor's Edge? So I watched
2: this movie real late at night. I, this is a couple nights ago and I had finished So watch- Connor saying he fell asleep during, no, the no, no. I, no, no, no. I no. but th- this is what I was going to say. <laughs> I, cause I, I watched all these in, in, in order. Right. So I watched the other night, I watched where the Buffalo roam. And then I was like, Oh, you know what? Let me just, I'm up, whatever. Cause quarantine, I don't sleep anymore and whatever days that last forever and bleed into nights, which bleed into days. And so I just decided, let me put on the two plus hour epic, And I napped in where the Buffalo roam and I was, I was, and maybe this helped, you know, I got my nap in early, but like (laughs) when I watched razor's edge, I was straight through it. Uh, even in the wee hours of the morning, I I guess I'm kind of mixed on this movie. I think it's kind of fascinating and there are certain scenes in it that I loved that I was like very engaged by. Um, Overall, the biggest thing that was hard for me to swallow is, and again, it's a, it's a, it's a relic of its time kind of thing, but just like the white dude going to find himself on the other part of the world kind of thing like that, that aspect of it was a little tough to swallow for me. But, um, I was really engaged by the Murray performance in so much as like just watching him navigate it, and you could definitely see where he kind of deliberately tries to sort of plug in that levity and that comedy, like you mentioned, Dan, right. as a particularly, I guess, as opposed to the original adaptation. Um, but well,
1: I mean, if you know Tyron, pa- Ty- Tyrone Power, who I, I do love, Mad Night Idol, that dude didn't have a laugh in him. No, Power. No, 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 you know no. what I mean? He was not that guy, yeah.
2: No, and I mean even with him, like the close you'd the the most you'd get out of him is something like you know when he played Zorro, right?
1: Like like where he's but even that like like he's not telling jokes, you know. But even in the mark of yeah, even in the mark of Zorro, it's not like Errol Flynn, right? 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 Like like the lightness is not there for power. Um,
2: but but yeah, and it's so I I think that helps because I think it helps with a level of uh likability. I guess what I had the hardest time wrestling with with this movie, other than its general length, <laughs> was the the weird inconsistency in tone. And because there are some scenes that are that are way more down the middle, uh, you know, very I kept thinking of um, I kept thinking of far and away while watching this movie, mm. uh, just this kind of this thing that feels like it Like it's really swinging to be this old Hollywood epic. It's sort of that light touch and the sweetness. But then there are scenes that are just like brutal and mean and like aggressively dire. Um, And that, I think, was sort of the the weird kind of push and pull for me. That was tough to kind of
0: navigate.
1: What do you think, Evan?
0: I was not prepared to like this. Sure. Uh, Just I I didn't know a ton about it. Um, But I I knew that it was it was the only thing he uh, one of the only things he had ever written. And I knew that it was a a passion project for him. And one of his first like uh, if not his first like not all funny guy movie. Oh yeah. That's how they um, sold it.
1: Like that's how they sold it. Like the first dramatic Bill Murray performance.
0: Right. Um, and so I was ready for it to be really indulgent right. and, uh, a little painful. Um, it, it's the most I've ever liked a Bill Murray character without, a level of pity. Like I really like the Lost in Translation character, but part of that is like pity and being like, "Oh, you're obviously sad. Here's this and that." Like this was like, "Oh man, you're like putting effort into becoming a better person, and like, uh, you know, you're you have these opportunities, but you want to be a, a literal fishmonger instead at times." Like, right? Um, and it was just like, y- yeah, there was a. a There were a lot of aspects to the movie that were pretty trite or like cliche or whatever. But but it felt like okay to me, A, because I knew that, uh, you know, the source material and B, um, because it was like it it just felt genuine. Uh, I will agree that it was like real mean at times. And there were also the jumping around in time could have not jumping around it doesn't go back but it, you know it'll just cut to the next scene and it'll be like years later uh but Bill Murray has like the exact same haircut and looks right. identical right. well that's that that so, yeah that's like an
1: old movie thing to connor's point that doesn't translate as well in
0: 1984 i think for sure right yeah right uh but it all that made it difficult because you know there's a scene where a uh, a significant other passes away And then we cut to the next scene and it's like the first time in the movie where I'm like, okay, well, this is like months later. He's been like grappling with it. And then like halfway through the scene, you find out that this is just like that night, you know, or like the the next next day. day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, And you're like, oh, that okay. Uh, Yeah, the last 20 minutes,
1: I think, kind of if you can fault this movie they really rush to the finish in a way that's kind of like, okay. Like, like basically half of the plot happens in the last 20 minutes, which is a little... Yeah. That's tough. I don't
2: know if you, frankly... And I guess, I don't know if we we even went through the plot, really, but it's...
0: it's, It it basically
2: is just Bill Murray plays a man named Larry Darrell, who, he's from Illinois, right? And he basically with uh, a buddy of his volunteers to be an ambulance driver at the front in World War I prior to uh, the U.S. getting involved in the war, right? So, they're going over there. You know, he's, he's at, at the time, he is uh, engaged, right, to, um, to uh, Catherine Hicks and uh, the mom from Seventh Heaven, If you, uh, you know, I don't know if you need a reference, Annie, Um, (laughs) Annie,
0: you can call her by name, Annie, Um,
2: but, um, (laughs) but the, um, yeah, so he basically decides to go do this thing. He comes back, uh, after some, some significant trauma of just seeing people die. Uh, and it sort of deeply affects him and he essentially decides to, quote unquote, postpone the engagement as opposed to like calling it off or postponing the wedding as opposed to calling it off, G- goes to Paris, which then sort of leads him to other parts of the world as he continues to try and find himself as the other people in his life move on and change with the times, you know, those times obviously being like or
1: or the, don't change, Connor. That's But but,
2: you know, with the sort of the depression leading into pre-World War II. Um, So obviously crazy time to be in the world. Um, But basically that, I mean, that's essentially the crux of the movie. And and to to Evan's point, it's sort of about how he sort of is coping and realizing the certain aspects of the life he's leaving behind and how much of it is bullshit uh, and really trying to just like better himself as a human being
0: yeah the the tough it's also go ahead it's it's also the only in my opinion the only movie of these four where his character has an arc sure uh and like changes sure you know like quick change he gets nervous but at the end he's like the same dude he was at the beginning right uh and uh mad dog and glory you know not really any change he's yeah
2: that that movie and we'll
0: get to it that's i feel like a little less his movie so it's sure
2: i think it matters less a little there but um the yeah i i think his performance is the thing that and i think having the arc helps i think it is the thing that grounds this movie for me in terms of like that is it is the thing to watch. And I don't even know, I mean, I don't even know if I would place it in like top five Bill Murray performances or anything like that, but in the context of it being so early in his career and even being tangential to Ghostbusters, which is probably like, right. Like the iconic Bill Murray wise ass performance, right. To watch this in contrast, I think is super interesting.
1: Um, I want to say just in regards to the, the world war one portion. So a guy named Piedmont basically saves his life and in, saves Bill Murray's life and in doing so gets gutted by a, bay, by a bayonet, right? And then he dies. Yeah. And that's Brian Doyle Murray. That's his real brother, right? Who's really good, actually. was very think. good. Yeah. And yeah. The speech, was great. The speech that Bill Murray gives to dead Brian Doyle Murray on the front, it was his speech about John Belushi who had passed oh. away so that oh. that
0: speech i didn't know that bill
1: murray wrote so connor if you can find it i think it's like oh 20. no yeah, i'll grab it i'll it's, grab it and i'll yeah. drop it right here he was a slob
2: did you ever see him eat starving children would fill their bellies on the food that ended up on his beard and clothes. Dogs would gather to watch him eat. I never understood gluttony, but I hate it. I hated that about you. He enjoyed disgusting people, being disgusting, the thrill of offending people and making them uncomfortable. He was despicable.
0: He will not be missed. that's that's like one of that and what's her name sophie uh whoever whoever theresa russell yeah Teresa yeah. russell her performance specifically when her kid and husband oh died. my god yeah. that was that, such a good though, scene i they thought were, those are the two those two and then when bill murray confronts uh seventh heaven mom at the very end Catherine and Nicks. basically says like no we're not ever going to be together and like th- some things don't get solved like those were great it's literally
2: the so it's it's four scenes right are the scenes that sort of i was referencing where it's like there are just moments in this movie that like it feels pretty palpable pretty sort of you know saccharine's not even necessarily the word but like just it feels like a light hollywood touch um which is why maybe i think of something like far and away because it's ron howard so it just feels like uh you know, I don't know, it feels like something he, yeah. he could have probably tackled as a director to, to similar effect. And those are the four, so it's the it's the Brian Doyle-Murray scene. It's the loss of the husband and baby scene with Teresa uh, Russell. And it's after, it's the scene where later, uh, in like the third act, fourth act, act fifth act, right, uh, where Catherine Hicks confronts Teresa Russell About Bill Murray, which is like mean and like brutal, and then And then Bill Murray then confronting her about that, right? And it's like, those are the four scenes to me that I was just like,
1: whoa, whoa. Well, I always, as I get older, I have more more and more respect for actresses who take on roles like the role, like the Isabel role that Catherine Hicks took on. Where like It's a really good performance. Well, but like John Byram, who directed it, co-wrote it, right, had to basically cast that, right? And Teresa Russell, who's um, Sophie, is chewing scenery and very good. Teresa Russell's kind of an underrated actress in general. She's been good for many years and kind of doesn't get a lot of recognition, like a lot of, you know, like plenty of women, but, but, um, Catherine Hicks has to have this like diabolically evil scene where like John, when John Byram's casting that, like that as an actress, you have to have a lot of faith in yourself Mm -hmm. and in your director to do that. I mean, she basically chooses through, suggestion and then passivity to essentially spoiler kill her friend. I mean, that's basically what happens. And like it, it's a scene that I think that ages almost well in its portrayal of addiction in the sense of like the people you surround yourself with. Right. Like, and like the idea of like, you know, the one, a man loves a woman of it all. We've talked about that movie before, but like the enabling elements That for a long time, I think, got ignored by people, right? Where you have Catherine Hicks basically just saying to Teresa Russell, like, this whole thing is your fault. Your addiction's your fault. You're to blame. You're going to bring this guy I love down with you. Why don't you fucking kill yourself? Literally, like, that's yeah. basically what that scene yeah. is. And 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 good on Catherine Hicks for performing it the way she does. No, it's, that's it's hard really, for actors, It is a really...
2: Uh, and I get, and I guess you, it's kind of an all in one thing, right? Like you mentioned not only the direction, but also obviously like a good on Bill Murray to a degree to be able to kind of help craft that character as a writer, because she's got like a level of nuance to her, uh, that, it, that is super interesting. Right. Whereas Teresa Russell, I think she has, yeah, there's a lot there. And like you said, Dan, there are scenes where she's sort of chewing the scenery Um, Which is totally true. And her arc is a lot sharper, right? Like it's very because it's marked by like stark tragedy, right? Whereas the uh, the Isabel character, the Catherine Hicks character, it's this interesting evolution into this person that then chooses to make that monstrous decision, right? Like she's
0: understandably bitter, which is like a fascinating thing. Yeah, there's
2: there's the scene where she goes to Paris to visit bill Murray right at this is you know he after he's come back from the war and then he goes away and she goes to Paris and he is kind of like hey look like what if we don't have that life what if we just have this life and she is basically like no like I want that life and like kind of fuck you a little bit for yeah for and it's it's a really interesting I, it, I think it's it marks the most interesting aspect of her character in a really interesting scene because it is like on one hand, right? You're looking at it from the Bill Murray angle and you're like, look, lady, this guy is just trying to, like, make sense of it all and stuff. And he's just trying to figure it out. And But there's the other aspect of it where you're like, yeah, I don't like just, you know, don't like, you know, don't string this this person along. Like, just be honest well, with her. Yeah. Be like, yeah, no, that's not a thing that I want. And if you don't want biggest... that, then we should go our separate ways. Right. And it's. It's an interesting yeah. sort of definitely handled thing, I think. And it makes her decisions towards the end of the movie that much more
1: like, oh. Yeah, I think the, the biggest maybe criticism you could throw at this version of the Razor's Edge is the lack of criticism for the Larry Darrow character, which I think in yeah. the 46 version, you get a little bit more of an even-handed look, which of course makes sense just in the sense of how they approach the movie. like, um, Because ultimately... You know, a Westerner adopting Eastern values, right? It's very Siddhartha. It's you know, it's it's of it's 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 of that ilk, which I think is fine. And I think, look, Siddhartha, for example, the Hermann Hesse book, it's one of those, like I don't know how you'd ever adapt Siddhartha, right? Like because it's a man's internal journey. So similar to Razor's Edge, a lot of the mom book and a lot of the content is is internal you know, philosophy and discovery. So the fact that they do it somewhat successfully in this movie is impressive, I think, and in the 46 uh, version, but the lack of criticism of this guy basically being selfish, which he is. And I think it's important to kind of acknowledge that is, is tough. And then finally bringing it back to that finale for all of the stuff that the Isabel character does. She obviously gets off the hook incredibly easy at the very end of the picture, I think just so that the movie can end, um, which I think is fine. I just you almost wish, I don't know, they would choose because it is a long movie. You don't want it to be longer, but I almost wish they could choose for a to give a little bit more time to that character at the end. One other thing, Denholm Elliott is in this, and he's very good. Yeah, he's as, as the uncle. Um that which, last
2: scene with who's him who's Marcus
1: is, Marcus Brody from Indiana Jones yes, if you don't know yeah, who yeah. And but that, that last good.
2: scene with him, I think, is lovely, lovely It's yeah. a it's a wonderful exchange, I think, between him and Murray. And it's like a really sweet, sweet moment. Maybe I like this movie. Shit.
1: Um I I definitely I definitely enjoyed watching
2: it. I just like I kept wrestling with and I think it's it speaks to a lot of what you just said, Dan. I think that was also underpinning it that was like was was the sort of the lack of criticism for, for Murray's character. And it's not even really, it's not necessarily in his performance. I think his performance is handled really well. You can see him tap into some of that, like somber nature that I think is, is pretty effective. Um, while also still bringing out some of like the, the wise ass charm, um, which maybe feels more appropriate to the role than someone like a Tyrone power. Um, um, Topsy,
0: do you wanna give us the final word on this? Yeah, Mr. Kretz. Yeah. So I again, like to to just reiterate, I am not a big Bill Murray fan and as and like never have been as a kid, sure, like he's funny. I like bill murray as much as the next guy uh, well can i ask but Evan,
1: did you like chevy chase more growing up did you think he was funnier just curious
0: yes but i like steve martin for me was right. like quintessential mm, yeah. sure and martin short just like the silly i've always been like a silly human like silly smart like silly smart, smart exactly right. yeah um And I liked how they were mean, but also, you know, willing to, like, self-flagellate. And, like, Bill Murray, mean, uh, he took himself a little too seriously. Um, But but so, this movie, I went into it. uh, This was actually the first of the four that I watched. Uh, I had seen Where the Buffalo Roam a lot in high school, uh, but hadn't revisited it since I was 16 and... Almost as dumb as I am today, <laughs> um, and I was ready to dislike it uh, because I feel like so many Bill Murray films lean on the fact that they're a Bill Murray film. I th- right. like uh, and and don't feel the need. I think uh, where the Buffalo Room is a great example. Where not to like jump back to it, but you have a soundtrack by Neil Young, oh. uh, and it's. It's like three minutes of just the song, Give, you, give Me a Home or the Buffalo Rum. Yes. There is not a score. It's just him, like Neil Young playing I understand that. Well, like, so
2: here's an interesting thing about that is they, the only recognizable, other than that song, the only recognizable song in that movie is the Creedence song that pops up later. But and
0: they. The VHS. Oh, wait. Sorry. Say what? No, you're no, no So
2: So. When the movie originally came out, um, it had uh, like a, an appropriate, uh, um, you know, set of needle drops, basically. And then they had to replace it because they couldn't, you know, for money reasons, couldn't essentially continue
0: to license the songs. That's So the VHS copy I have uh, from high school has the original soundtrack in it then, like Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and everything. And, yeah, like that's uh, not in the that's one really that I watched. Funny. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, mean I, I watched yeah. the one that you and sent And I can't us remember and...
2: the, the title of the Creedence song, but there's like one Creedence song that plays that I think is have a license. And you, then... you,
1: you know it's funny? Do you know that's why Pump Up the Volume isn't available anywhere? The Christian Slater, Samantha Mathis movie?
2: Oh, really? Because of music rights? Because they didn't get the rights which in is, perpetuity? Which is,
1: which is a good movie. Pump Up the Volume if you don't know. I mean, people kind of joke about that movie, but it's actually, I think, way ahead of its time and a really great Christian Slater performance. And he's a radio DJ, like underground radio DJ. That's what the movie's about. So all of that music, they did not license appropriately. So this now that, you know, Kristen Slater's Mr. Robot and, you know, those filmmakers, you know, that's what happens to movies, right? Like those kids now make movies. So a movie like Pump Up the Volume, those kids are like, oh, we like that movie. Where's the Blu-ray?
0: Right. And the studio's like, oh, we didn't get the rights. It wouldn't make sense anymore. That's (laughs) Dawson's Creek, if you guys feel like, I know that you know, uh, not to get into the, the American neorealism of the uh, <laughs> late 90s, uh, but Dawson's Creek, they didn't get the rights for the music in perpetuity except for the finale. So if you go back and watch it on Netflix or wherever it's available streaming, none of the original songs really? are in there. And That's that the WB theme, budget. That's that WB budget, baby. Yeah, the theme isn't even the, I don't want to wait. No. Wait. What? Yep. Then why even watch it? (laughs) Well, for Pacey. So let me tell you something. I was
1: I was a waiter. (laughs) I was a server at my local diner for many years. Evan, me and Evan made a movie at that diner that you'll never see. Um, but the thing I would get the most often because I would I would come home from college and I'd wait tables. You know, like any young kid. You know, between classes to make some extra scratch and every time like i would talk to a table and they'd be like oh you're back from college like what are you gonna film what are you going to school for i'd be like oh i'm gonna I'm, I'm going to school for film At basically every one out of every two tables would be like oh my gosh like dawson from dawson's
0: creek that's so great because <laughs> yeah. he, fil- he was a film here's student. the thing watch it as an adult that is such a massive insult dawson is te- a terrible person i wish i was a pacey I'm oh yeah, people have basically
2: settled on with yeah, that Pace, show right because yeah, yeah. pacey's the one all along pacey's right? the one yeah pacey's Pace the one. one yeah um
0: regard so but uh ha, this is like tangent 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 no do it, um, do it it's fine but so right so where the buffalo room it's like well we have bill murray as hunter s thompson we need nothing else uh yeah the movie's about the first like gonzo film but like we're not going to make it God, you know, Gonzo is all about like putting yourself into the story. And like, so we're going to do totally benign camera movements, if any at all. And, uh, Neil Young's doing the soundtrack, but it's like one riff the whole time. Uh, I was ready for this movie to be like, well, it's Bill Murray being Bill Murray. So we don't really have to do much with it. And the fact that, he i was very wrong about that uh and that you know two of the best scenes of the film didn't even have him in it uh which is you know for i see bill murray as an intensely like egotistical if you read the stories about him like He's he's also he's like a bad person, guys. Well, well, like, well hang on. Yeah. This is a good let's yeah. this is a he's, segue. There is a, have, if you go on his Wikipedia, well, there
2: is a whole section that just reads feuds. Well, and yes. this is a
1: good segue maybe to quick change. Um it, to your point, Evan, because when me <laughs> when me and evan were recording the fathom episode a couple weeks ago i we were talking we we're like oh let's get you another b-side we were thinking about doing bill murray would you want to do that and me and evan had this moment where we were like you know the funny thing about bill murray is he kind of sucks yeah. and everybody <laughs> talks about him like he's this great guy and he has this great persona and he does and he's of course a very talented performer but if you if and this is a these are huge caveats but if you take away the community part of Chevy Chase's career and all the mean nasty shit he did on that set and it's just the regular nasty shit Chevy Chase did throughout his whole career and his regular ego and you take away the the broken flowers of it all from Bill Murray and both of their careers end in like you know not right before rushmore I don't they're the same like they yeah. Yeah. Had similar careers like Chevy Chase made a lot of good movies. His whole his whole thing was I'm smarter than you. Let me make a joke about it. That's sp- basically what Bill Murray does. I hate to be the guy who says it to you. It, other than what about
0: Bob, I guess. And other than which which he was a horrible. like those. That's where yeah, I first he's heard the person, stories of yeah. like he like On set, tried yeah. to punch. Uh, uh, no, he
1: threw he threw uh, the producer. That's what it was. Into the water. Yeah, that happened. Yeah. No one denies that. That actually, no one denies that happening,
0: right? And like, he he threw an ashtray at uh at Dreyfus, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like now look, screamed
1: Dreyfus, in his... Dreyfus famously also difficult, but yes, he did do that. Yeah, he threw. It. Yeah, like Jay yeah. Moore. Jay Moore has a story about working with him on a movie, and like, and like, Bill Murray like doing a physically not great thing to another like their point is to connor's point it's on the wikipedia you can read the dude's got a track record and he's famously streaky right like that's the thing with bill Murray. like he's famously like very up and very down in terms of kind of the way you can know him where i guess with chevy he just was kind of an asshole which okay
2: well and i think that's that's a your distinction though dan is a is a good one because i i agree like i was going to ask earlier like who has the worst reputation i would argue they're probably tied but no but they're not though chevy chevy has a way no, no, worse no, no. Reputation. No, no, no. but i'm saying like when you look yeah. at it
1: right, right. like, no, right, like not just right. by like, like it, yeah. yeah yeah i, I would I mean, say although, chevy, like, chevy, I, the, the shit chevy said like the racist stuff gets well that, that blows it out but like this is the, this is where Bill i think the Murray distinction is
0: supposedly hit his wife oh and i didn't know the, that yeah that's like I, he like, yeah. And there's like multiple reports of that. And like, that's like, Chevy, I'll hang out with you now. Like you win, Chevy, you know?
2: <laughs> no, like, I don't know if I would, uh, I don't know if Can we I just would... hang
1: out with Tim Meadows? Let's just hang out with Tim Meadows. Uh, uh, Tim. That
0: dude seems like the best. Yeah. Well, Tim Meadows killed a kid. <laughs> <laughs> that's... <laughs> Tim, no tim meadows seems great tim I love meadows tim meadows. Murdered my dad um <laughs> <no>. chris Catan. <laughs>
2: <laughs> anyway no it, it what i what i think the distinction in the reputations is though is i think in in pivoting to sad and pitiful bill right. murray is able to kind of reinvent that thing of like yeah. of like oh i I was shitty and I'm kind of, and like any sadness I have is, is my fault. And right. And, and what, like who knows how much of it's even true, right? Like it's not, you know, in terms of how he feels about it or whatever. But my point is, as far as it comes off, it's a big distinction in his ability to pivot his career versus somebody like Chevy Chase, right? Because he did Chevy Chase. He he goes on to do a community and all this terrible
1: stuff still happens. Right. So, and, yeah, no, you're right, and and, and I think... It, so, and I want to correct myself real quick. I said, after Razor's Edge, the next movie was Ghostbusters 2. The next movie was actually Scrooged in 88. Um, a movie that I like, but Bill Murray doesn't like, and Richard Donner don't like, because they oh. hate each other, yep. and the movie that came from it was apparently like, half of one thing and half of the other. I like that movie a lot, but anyway. Um, no, but you're right. Like, I think... Um, the self-effacing pity that comes forward, Pat Rushmore and on, I think does a lot of good for him, and I think deservedly so. I think he's wonderful in stuff like Lost in Translation and Broken Flowers, and obviously the West Anderson movies. And he's spoken about his reputation as a streaky guy, and he basically says, you know, that he's a pro, and if people aren't being pros, and there are there are there are also stories of him retaliating against directors who have been treating other people badly, which seems very
0: headbutt thing.
1: Yeah. So the McGee headbutt thing, Evan, that is an example. Um, but then what's complicated is he also in front of the whole crew, apparently told Lucy Lou, she couldn't act and really pissed Lucy. So anyway, he's a complicated guy. It comes through in his later performances. That's interesting now. Okay. Moving to 1990, he makes Scrooge. It does okay. He makes Ghostbusters 2. It's not critically revered, but it makes a lot of money. Quick Change, he co-directs with Howard Franklin, who wrote the script, and I think based on another script, I think. It's based, um, I believe, on like a comic book? Yeah, right. It's based on a book of some sort. Yeah. I really like Quick Change. It's very short. Um, I think... Evan, you kind of alluded to this. The weakest part about it is the movie basically tells you that Gina Davis should conform to Bill Murray's whims at the end, which it's is a, a very little,
0: grease message.
1: yeah, a little <laughs> problematic for sure because the the whole movie basically angles it like Gina Davis is watching her boyfriend go the wrong way and the movie's basically proving her right <laughs> and then at the end it's like nah so that's tough. but I think, all in all, I find it very funny. Basically, the premise is we meet Bill Murray as a clown on the subway, and by minute two, he's robbing a bank, right? And Jason Robards, the great Jason Robards, is the police chief who's about who's to retire. Who's great in this movie, too. Great in it's, this movie. Yeah. And, yeah. And, it, and it's a smart movie because it plays to his own legacy. In the movie, he's retiring as a police chief, and he's it's all about he's worried about his legacy, which obviously by that time in Robards' acting career – You know, he was nine years away from Magnolia and and passing away. So, like, that was also, you know, akin to his own professional career. He gives a great performance. Uh, The robbery quickly becomes a hostage situation. They quickly let two hostages go, like, you know, per negotiation. And it's Randy Quaid in disguise and then Gina Davis. Um, You soon come to find out after the third hostages let go that's bill murray in another disguise they've stolen the money and gotten away under the guise of being released right very inside manny mm-hmm. cool mm-hmm. stuff yeah. going on so love inside manny the uh, movie inside man spike Lee. no i know i know i, <laughs> just, I love it um well
2: inside manny is um, a different movie yeah, <laughs> right sorry that sorry. Was...
1: <laughs> that was a Hunter s thompson novel uh, late period inside um,
2: manny was the original title for osmosis jones Ooh, oh. that would be
1: a good B-side, I suppose it's Um, So then, but what's great about the movie is that's basically the first like 20 minutes. And the whole movie is the three of them trying to get out of New York with the money. Yeah. And how New York is this horrible place that you can't escape, right? Yeah. Which I really found endearing and funny like i i left new york three years ago now for pittsburgh with my lovely wife i miss it every day kelly will tell you that she doesn't miss it as much i me and kelly watched quick change because five minutes into the movie i was like oh babe you should actually watch this movie this is like kind of a lovingly anti-new york movie i feel like you're gonna like and she did because i think a lot of the stuff in this movie kelly kind of was like yeah dude i remember all that and i think it kind of depends on how you feel about the city In which way you take the movie because i do think in a lot of ways it's a lovingly portrayed movie bill murray who has always lived in new york yeah he owns many places now but i think he still has a place in new york so it seems like a pretty loving portrait of the difficulties of living there i find gina davis very charming randy quaid is very annoying but it fits the character i think and the, the only other thing that I didn't love is the chemistry, obviously, between Bill Murray and Gina Davis kind of doesn't make sense. But by and large, I really like this movie. It's really short. It's really snappy. I think the jokes work. You, you give me one less Tony Shalhoub character in this movie, and, yeah. I'm, giving it, and I'm giving it an extra star. Sure. What do you guys think? Evan, what do you think? You New Yorker, you you now live in another Pennsylvania city. But what do you think?
0: I uh, Well, I'm loving it here in Erie. Um, I uh, no, that's not. Hey, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not <laughs> Dude, if you uh, lived in
1: Erie, we would be recording this podcast socially distanced from each other. Oh, that's true. You'd be so close to me, yeah.
0: Well,
1: well, what are you gonna do? All right, all right, um, all right, Creed. All right, Rocky Balboa. Tell me what you thought.
0: That is, I do often get confused for Sylvester Stallone, so that's actually that's very appropriate. You don't get um, confused we
1: for Michael B. Jordan.
0: I, both actually oh, it's okay. pretty yeah it. um, it's a slight it's a sliding uh, scale it's, yeah, sliding it's the scale. facial hair for sure it's that evan waddles wallace it's a wire thing um yeah, exactly i i enjoyed this i uh i this is like great murray does murray yeah this is the
1: most murray it's perfectly uh in his lane like it is
2: totally yeah
1: he's lost and and also when you know he directed it right doesn't it makes like the whole time i was watching it i was like oh yeah right this is of course the movie he directs because it's a very mean movie which he seems like he likes that like the mean
0: shit he likes um anyway sorry evan go ahead uh yeah i mean it was uh it it it's it's a typical like you know you're love hate letter to New York City. It's it's their his after hours. Uh it's his after yeah. hours. Yeah. 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 Um th- I feel like so the entire it's also like a really great cast, but the whole time you're like, it's like, oh, is that is that Gina Davis? Yeah. And then like later I'm like, is that is that Tony shalhoub I know. is that is that Stanley Tucci? Oh, Tucci. T- yeah <laughs> popping yeah. up for that.
1: Tucci. Too in that one scene, Tucci is so good. Yeah. As like the two-bit mobster, like going, oh yeah. the in-between guy, yeah. And also, I mean, we should say Victor Argo is the main mobster. Who Victor Argo is like a great yeah. New York actor,
0: so he's also really good in that scene too. It also, it just felt like the kind of movie that I had never seen it before. I didn't know anything about it. Uh, I, while watching it, I felt like I was ten watching Comedy Central at 10 p.m. on a Wednesday. Uh it just totally. felt like that kind of movie. And I was very much into that. And doesn't it feel like doesn't it feel like
1: he co-directed it. It came out the year after Ghostbusters 2. Doesn't it feel like him being like, okay, I'm off the set of Ghostbusters 2. I hated that. I hated every moment of that. I need to make something. Mean and nasty, yeah. and something that like nobody will like for 15
2: years. Like, let me blow like, off some steam on camera, yeah. basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 100%. I also like it's, I also forgot how much I liked Randy Quaid when I was a kid. Uh, yeah. Me too. You know, honestly. He was, he was cousin Eddie. To, I mean, Independence
1: Day, you know? I mean, may we never forget, speaking to Bill Pullman, that. And this is crazy, just knowing what's happened to Randy Quaid, uh, God bless, is like um, he's he is he saves the day in Independence Day. Like, it's just like, you you got Will Smith, you got Goldblum, you got Vivica A., you got uh, Billy Pullman, Rochester's own represent Jordan Raup. And Randy Quaid is the one who (laughs) saves the day in that movie.
0: Not just the day. The, the world, world.
1: everything.
2: <laughs> it's such a well. It is, no, like, they save the world. He saves Quaid. Saves like the people in immediate
1: danger.
0: Well, no, but, well, Quaid, but, he, but no, he Quaid. takes out the, the main ship. Yeah. No, they the,
2: take out the main ship because they go to space.
1: No, wait, hang on, Connor. But hang on, hang on. Oh yeah, they take out the main ship. You're right. right you're right. You're yeah, right. right. They take. I forgot about that. So oh, but, yeah, but but look,
2: credit where credit's due to fictional. Uh, Russell Russell case, um, he he I saves, totally forgot. He saves totally the people in, about that. in immediate
1: danger. Yeah, they take the alien spaceship and they go into space. Yes, wow, that correct. movie. There's a Wait, lot going on in them. But yeah. so
0: did Randy. If they take out the rest. Was that ship going to get blown up anyway, though? No, 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 Okay. Everybody on the ground
2: presumably is still responsible for blowing up all the other ships. I just want to make sure Randy
0: Quaid didn't kill himself for no reason.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. It was was still a much-needed sacrifice, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Unlike today, (laughs) where he'd
0: have plenty
1: of reasons. Well, let me just say, funny, funny, interesting thing, just because we, uh, we didn't even mention him in The Razor's Edge. So there's a movie called The Long Riders uh by Walter Hill from I think 80 and it's four sets of real life brothers and two of those sets are Dennis Quaid and Randy Quaid and Stacy Keach and James Keach and James Keach plays Grey right. in the Razor's Edge. Right. Right right, right And right. James Keach now is less of an actor and more of a director. He's directed a lot of stuff and obviously Stacy Keach he's good and great. He's yeah, James Keach is good. The scene where his dad dies and he punches out the glass—that's yeah. a pretty cool scene. Yeah, he's he's a pretty good actor. He's a good director. Um, anyway, yeah, less lesser known than his brother Stacy, obviously, but um, yeah, just a funny kind of coincidence. But yeah, I don't know, Connor, what would you think? Quick change. I mean, I think me and me and, me and Evan both liked it. I yeah, think. no, I, I liked it well enough. It
2: um, did it scratch your New York? I feelings. Can I tell you, you, I tell you the scene? I, I, I feel like most people who live in New York for an extended period of time even the people who love it obviously there is no love relationship with New York it's always a love hate right like that's oh, the yeah. whole that's the whole thing right and anybody and, who
1: fucking says different no, is, is lying and no and 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 or rich or rich.
2: and to be clear it is the same thing that seeds that you know what would be perceived as sort of that that New York edge or toughness or whatever right is that thing of The ability to live in a place that you love despite the things you hate about it, right? Um, Yeah, as you get older, you realize, like, is this even necessary? Um, But uh, what I – the moments that I loved – or the one moment that I loved in particular is – the mm-hmm. scene in the convenience store where he has to like, there are little annoyances that are here that I feel like play better in this movie because of the time that it was made. Like we never lived in a New York where you had to worry about exact change for the bus. Right. But this, that, the, that fucking scene, that bit is with wonderful. Philip Bosco yeah. is so good. It's, yeah. it's wonderful. Basically they're trying to get away the whole, as Dan mentioned, the whole like sort of, Last two thirds of the movie is them literally just trying to get to the airport, right? (laughs) It's like it's some combination of like of Dog Day Afternoon, which segues into Escape from New York, which segues into After Hours, right? Like I would say
0: it's it's very rat race.
2: (laughs) Oh, my God. No, no, no. no, But so those are the things of this movie that got a little like. And it's to the movie's credit, like this movie stressed me out so much. There's there's literally Dude. scene after scene where you're like, why don't you just go, right? Like just go. The like, scene, this doesn't need to
1: be this hard, right? The, so yeah, the be- would you agree with me? The best scene in the movie, it has to be. Is they're trying to get on the bus to get close to JFK to leave, right? And they've been trying the whole movie. And Philip Bosco is the bus driver who's like exact change, exact yeah. change. Right? Uh, this
2: is, I think, you're going to say the scene I was just about to mention. Uh,
1: and the editing is so beautiful in this scene, as our ed- our editor friend. Well, I guess we're all kind of editors, but Evan more than, m- more than me and Connor are more post producers. But Evan, you can attest to this. And correct me if I'm wrong. The way that scene is so beautifully edited, where it's basically Murray has like two minutes. He has to get off the bus, go to the bodega, get exact change while avoiding the cops who are at the scene of an accident caused by Tony Shalhoub, the kind of racistly cast taxi driver. And he has to avoid the cops, get exact change, and then make it back across the street before the two minutes because Philip Bosco will leave. The way they cut that scene, meanwhile, the mobsters, they just screwed over, are going to find out the coverage the way they cut to each element, the way they cut out to the wide so you know the space of what's happening. Yeah, the
2: geography of the scene is really well-constructed. There's a very
1: intelligent geography so you always know where he is. You always know. The the confidence of expanding your movie time, which is something people struggle to do, where they make the two minutes, six minutes in movie time, but it doesn't matter that... that's a beautiful editing trick where by extending the time, it adds stress to you as a viewer because you know, it's more than two minutes. So right. your mental clock is going like time's running out. Time's running out. Yeah. Time's should yeah. running run out. Time's ready running run it's out. It's a
2: really amazing sequence. And my, my favorite scene in the movie is, is sort of right in the middle of that, which is when he goes into the bodega oh. and there is the, the elderly person at the register, just, you know, just, Taking her time and, and and God bless her, right? That's the most New York, New York yep. thing. And look, I still live here, I love living here. I would love to continue to live here through through the pandemic, right? Like, but that is the thing that just will never not destroy me every time. Is just like the thing of just like, why well, just go? And that, but what I love is that this movie takes that feeling. And over the last two thirds of it just stretches that tension out where you're just like, no, come on, just go like it doesn't need to take this long. And it's it's a weird way to watch a movie because I was I was almost like not enjoying it. Right. Like I was like annoyed, which is sort of like to me, the Randy Quaid character. And I mentioned this to you, Dan, as we were talking uh, as I was watching it, I was messaging you and I was saying that, like. I really have realized how much I hate seeing Randy Quaid on screen, but to your point earlier, Dan, it works perfectly well in this movie because I think to, you know, those those kind of like buffoon sidekick characters, right, they're they're a tough need uh, tough needle to thread because you you need to be likable. Right. Like and the more sort of likable and soft and cuddly you are when you're going to take on a role like that, it makes it more palpable because you're like, oh, they're a buffoon, but they're like trying their best. Right. Whereas like Randy Quaid isn't inherently likable. So when he just starts acting like a maniac and derailing their escape, you're like, you maybe leave them like and, and you get almost this thing that like the only reason they can't leave him is because like he's not smart enough to like not give them up. You know, right. Totally. And, That's so, exact right. and so, and so it all works in the context of the movie really, really well. And it adds to that stress factor, uh, that I think really works. I will say, I, I think their chemistry is okay. It's a it's a tough thing because I think individually in their parts with uh, Bill Murray and Gina Davis, I think they're both great. Right? Like as we said, like Murray's like totally locked in, like totally in his lane. She, I think, is super charming, and I think uh, for a majority of the movie, plays that thing of of really like good natured and sweet, but also like you know not stupid and like realizing what they've done. But trying to kind of manage that and navigate that, as to your point, Dan, she sort of watches Bill Murray devolve, right? Mm -hmm. I think the shitty thing that the movie does is she is secretly pregnant. Right. And doesn't want to tell Bill Murray. And that's sort of obviously that her underlying conflict is she is now pregnant with this man's child as she's like watching him go from, you know, being sort of maybe a lovable con to like a or a lovable grifter to a full fledged felon. Right. And and criminal. And it weirdly, I think, leans on the pregnancy to sort of cast some of her legitimate concerns as kind of a neuroses. Yeah. And it's. I don't know. That's maybe that's just me reading it that way. That's what it seemed to me like the movie was doing. And I kind of didn't love that on top of the fact that by the end of the movie, to your point, it's sort of just kind of says, no, they'll just get together. And I I think I would have I think that that's that is the one thing about the movie that if, if she had chosen to just still go the other way. After the end of the movie, I think that's a way more appropriate ending, and still one that is like likable and 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 could serve the characters, uh, in a, in a uh, an appropriate way without necessarily betraying them. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I really liked it. I would recommend it. It's it's a quick watch, which is nice. Um, I uh
1: yeah the only the only other the other kind of New York pot thing that I like is. And then I finally do get on the bus and they get close. The guy's like, oh, it's like a half a mile from the airport. And they're like, okay, we'll walk it. I have done that in New York where you go like, okay, well, we'll get close and we'll walk. And then you get there and you get off the subway stop and you're like, oh, this is like not a great part of New York. And you like get <laughs> off. And, it, and like, you know, I remember being young in New York, you know, going to a party, whatever, Not you know, not knowing anything. And at like, you know, 23 Being a little too sauced, a little too late, maybe missing a stop and being, ah, walk. And you get out and you're like, oh, this is Brownsville. Okay, okay, okay. You know what I mean? And this is like 10 years ago now. But it's definitely like that is a nice – and then you have the woman (laughs) who's like seeing those – like really scary kind of hemnals about like the day of the dead or whatever on the corner
0: like that's that's a bill murray joke that's funny oh um, and that's that's also very new york i think very it york, captures yeah. a lot it uh, captures a lot of the new york annoyances sure just like perfectly like that when they're on the bus and there's like a woman shaving a man's head and yeah. like an uh the, the dude with the guy guitar. trying to gu- who get can't on get with on. a guitar. <laughs> like fine. it's one of these things yeah, that, that, that you're like. I've had that. Yeah, I've I've, well, I've like, seen this. I'm sure you guys have had
1: this. I when I lived in New York, I would have friends come in. Obviously, like anybody, and I remember we would get onto the subway and it would, you know, a friend would I would be on my phone or something, and the friend would walk in and it'd be an empty car, and of course there would be a guy in there who had shit and it smelled like shit, and you and like I would catch them before they went in. I'd be like, oh, no, 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 we got to go into this car. Like, it's empty for a reason. And, like, and the, person, yeah. the the friend would be like, what are you talking about? And I'd be like, oh, no, well, it's empty. That guy probably shit in that car. And I remember <laughs> the friend was just like, that's just like a normal thing for you? I'd be like, <laughs> yeah. those are
0: the New York things yeah. like, you're like, yeah, that is a normal thing for me. And like, or, the, I remember- or the friend being like, oh, dude, I saw the craziest thing today. This guy was roller skating and all he was wearing right. was a tunic. And you're like, I don't know. That's, exactly yeah no it, tuesday those
1: yeah those things are very endearing to new york like and yeah this movie definitely captures it robarts
0: is great like we said the um, rent bit with hartman oh where they're hartman. like yeah actually i wanted like, to
2: bring that up because you guys was are so nice paying 2500
0: and we played we paid 18 yeah, yeah. he's like what you were paying 1500 <laughs> they were like 1260 <laughs> Yeah, right.
1: they were ripping off the tv when i came in I was touching it. Kill me.
0: Turn around. Oh, great, Hal. For once it was gonna be fun. We were gonna eat on the floor, drink champagne, listen to old records.
1: Why are you blaming me?
0: We haven't even moved the bed in, and already it's the same.
2: Now, give credit where it's due, Mrs. Edison. Hal made the commitment, didn't he? He gave up the rent-controlled place in the village. Do you know him? He's paying $1,500 for a
0: one-bedroom. $1,500? Try twenty six hundred. You. You weren't paying fifteen hundred, were you?
1: We were paying twelve sixty.
2: Twelve sixty? Excuse me. I don't know you very well, but you must be
0: crazy if you gave this place up.
2: Maybe we are crazy. We bought a farmhouse near Woodstock. It's rustic, kind of a fixer, but the payments are three hundred a month. We just had to try
1: yeah it's oh, <laughs> oh my god. god it's so and it's like it's like and you know appropriately new york it's like a horribly shitty place yes like, you know, right like, you're like really okay it's like, funny it's funny evan you said after hours that's a great because after hours would have come out like five years before that or so or yeah so. it's they've got this this is i think a little bit more a little
2: bit less sinister than after hours uh, for obvious reasons um I mean, After Hours is one of the best. I love that movie. No, that's it's, like one it's my great. I, I would say that that's it's that After Hours for me is like top five Scorsese, easy. It's oh, definitely.
0: Certainly, his funniest, in my opinion. Right up oh, there with yeah. Silence. Like going <laughs> like silence. And I mean,
1: the, the, laugh the, a minute. The, laugh a minute. The thing yeah. about well, that's the thing about silence Not laugh a minute, but the the hit joke ratio. I mean, every joke hits <laughs> right. So the self-immolation bit. Oh my <laughs>
0: god,
1: dude, that dude. The jokes in silence when Liam Neeson gets drowned in the water, dude. <laughs> yeah. dude classic. Um, that in Kundun. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> oh, one other thing I was going to say, which I just found funny is in Caddyshack there's a whole bit basically improvised about Bill Murray's character golfing with the Dalai Lama. And then four years later he meets the Dalai Lama in the razor's edge, which I just find to be the most funny in joke ever. Um, but, same
0: universe. That's a yeah, lot of people yes. don't know no, Matt, that the Caddyshack. Razor's Edge yeah. was.
1: Well, is, also, uh, people don't Caddyshack know that. Universe. And also, Funny Farm is also in the same universe because <laughs> yes. Chevy Chase <laughs> is playing the same character. Um, all right. So, last movie is Mad Dog and Glory, which is directed by John McNaughton, who only a few years before had made a name for himself in indie circles with Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer, which was at the time extremely controversial, barely came out, very violent, right? That's Michael Rooker, who you know from. Stuff like Days of Thunder, you know, very accomplished actor. I guess now you know him from uh, he's Guardians the dude. of the Galaxy. He's the dude with the Mohawk and Guardians of the Galaxy. I can't think of his name. Yeah, I can't think of
2: his name, but yeah, yeah uh, blue um, guy in Guardians of the Galaxy films. Blue
1: guy in Guardians. He's yeah. a very good character actor. Um, Anyway, he was Henry in Portrait of a Serial Killer. Got McNaughton on the map. I want to say that Scorsese saw Henry and McNaughton loved Scorsese and was trying to kind of get in the world of Martin Scorsese, speaking of Martin Scorsese. And basically, that connection ultimately ended up getting um, McNaughton to Richard Price, who wrote Mad Dog and Glory. And if you know Richard Price, he's a great novelist. He wrote stuff like Clockers. He wrote stuff like Freedomland. Um I think he wrote on homicide or something like that. Like he's, you know, he, he's a very accomplished writer in that world. Very talented guy. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like lighter Richard price, right? So Mad Dog and Glory is basically Evan, you want it? You want to give us a little synopsis? You want to You haven't done a synopsis. You want to
0: give us a little Mad Dog and Glory? Yeah. Um, I or if you didn't like it, you don't need to, that's your call. Well, I didn't like it, but I can tell you tell us about what the movie was about. Uh, it, I'll tell
1: you that David Crusoe is fucking great in it. But anyway, keep going.
0: <laughs> uh, so the movie is about uh, it's about an hour and a half too long. If you oh, ask me, oh, 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 oh I love <laughs> it already. Uh, so that means you like
2: seven minutes of it, though.
0: I did. <laughs> yeah. I thought that so the, that means uh, the
2: first seven are great. To, in your like, mind, like literally,
0: though, the first seven, I was like, oh, this is. This is not what the minute I expected. Eight hit and you were like, "Is it? It over? is a good. It's it is a good opening. Yeah, it it's is a good. A good opening. It's a good setup
2: for sure. Yes.
0: Yeah, anyway, so like, go, go a, on. Uh, you know, Robert De Niro is a sort of timid uh, crime scene photographer uh, who sort of secretly wishes he was a artistic photographer, um, and uh, Bill Murray is a mafioso who moonlights as a stand-up comedian at the stand-up clubs he owns uh, and th- th- uh, De Niro essentially saves Bill Murray's life by reasonably talking to a criminal who's like holding him at gunpoint. Uh, Bill Murray says thank you and to thank him, he Bill Murray gives Robert De Niro Uma Thurman for a week, uh, which you know is so problematic but the movie acknowledges it as problematic because Robert De Niro is like yeah that's not I don't you can't give me right I mean it's one of the central conflicts of the movie basically right uh but at the same time uh it does kind of get to a point where it's like oh well okay yeah exactly Uma Thurman has no she never really like makes any decisions for herself and is just kind of like fine with this whole thing. And, uh, you know, eventually De Niro falls in love with, not eventually, very quickly, Robert De Niro falls in love with her seemingly without, uh, any reason other than she's attractive and there.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and then, uh, wants to buy her from Bill Murray, uh, and then eventually gets in a fight with him and nobody wins and ends the movie with Uma Thurman. Yeah.
1: The buying, the buying of Uma Thurman being the central narrative of this film is obviously the weakest part of it. I will just correct myself. Richard price did not write on homicide, but he did write on the wire. Right. And he wrote on the deuce Uh. and he wrote on the outsider recently and the night of, so he's like one of these guys, right? So, Um, he also wrote a movie Sea of Love with Al Pacino that I like a lot. Um, I feel
0: like he he directed some of the outsider also, or or was it? I don't know. I think he was a showrunner.
1: Yeah. Um, but I so it's funny. I like this movie a lot, um, and I always have, but but on a rewatch, you're right. Like I was kind of it's one of those funny things where rewatching it a couple days ago, I and it's this is just. Hey, you want want to criticize me and kind of the way the male gazes and stuff like I forgot that that was so central to the movie, right? Like, like I was kind of watching it like, oh, shit, this is yeah. Like there's Uma has no agency. She's into this mobster because of her brother, another man, like paying off his debt. Um, He's still alive, but he's a loser guy. So like you know, she's basically falling on the sword for him. She basically admits. And the conceit of the picture to basically convey morality is that Robert De Niro is going to give her the option to leave, as opposed to Bill Murray, who will not give her the option, which that is meant to be enough, right? Which, of course, 30 years on, you're like, well, no, that's not enough. And I think, you know, McNaughton has basically an in interview said as much, right? Like when you look back, you go like, Oh yeah, that was problematic. Right. Yeah. Of and it's, and it's so, not
2: even, it's, it's not even that that is like a central part of the story. It's the way that they treat it. Right. It's like, like y- you can keep that as some degree of a setup, right? Like this person who is essentially an indentured servant to this mobster. Right. Uh, and and the sort of uh, well, you know how
1: you know how you solve the problem. You go you go dirty rotten scoundrels with it. Where they suggest at some point in the movie, Uma is playing them both, right? And mm. if at the end of the movie she was, and right? She it Kiser, flips, and, the, it and flips she, the script. And she, you know, she Glenn Headley Kaiser Soze's, and it's like, oh yeah, she was the mastermind the whole time, and it ends almost the same way it ends anyway with bill murray and robert de niro just kind of sitting on the stoop being like well i guess all we have is each other except with the lingering you know final kiss not in the film that's kind of how you maybe update the picture right i mean because that's that's kind of what you're maybe getting at anyway Um, i would have enjoyed that i would have really liked it right it's the
2: toughest part of the movie
1: um it, my favorite, a, honestly my favorite part of the movie is david Crusoe. like I, he, I'm, I'm,
2: so like, you and i were talking about him the other day and how kind of like underrated well, caruso is in general a little bit well so we're talking I also, about he has the ahead. best
0: line in the movie too where he, he has says every line of yeah, his is yeah, the best he, line yeah. Yeah. he where he's like he's like you know i'm uh, essentially saying like i'm a masculine guy i stand up for myself i do all these things but if i ever had an intelligent thought i'd i'd die of loneliness
1: yeah uh, <laughs> and like and, he, and i
0: love that and he and so
1: okay so caruso i only bring this up because i've just been watching a lot of his stuff recently just i re i watched kiss of death the film noir that got remade um where he's the lead uh in 1996 which is an underrated remake if you haven't seen it nicolas cage is in it he's amazing in it uh and david cruz is really good in it too Caruso is one of these guys, we're talking about difficult actors, allegedly, whatever. He came on, right? He's in stuff like Hudson Hawk as one of the heavies. He's in this, Mad Dog and Glory. He's in a couple other things. And then his big break, he's in NYPD Blue for that first season, which people might not remember now, but in the early 90s, NYPD Blue was coming off of Homicide, right? Which kind of, Homicide was an adult thing. Like people liked it, but the viewers weren't necessarily there. NYPD Blue was like the extension of that where it was like, oh, shit. Like if it was like Hill Street Blues led to Homicide, led to NYPD Blue in the 90s. And that was like, oh, this is like real cop shit, right? Like, you know, and Caruso was the breakout of that first season. And he, he, he had a great character. He exploded and he was had a bit of an ego is what was said and he basically left after the first year to become a movie star and he made stuff like Kiss of Death and he made stuff like Jade and they didn't hit and his kind of his moment to be the movie star came and went very quickly and i think some of that was the movies he chose and i think some of that was maybe his onset reputation and ultimately within a few years he's back on TV in CSI Miami which runs for like a decade right so his movie star career is very limited And who knows how difficult or not he is to work with. What's a shame is he is one of those presences. And I was saying this, I think, to a friend. It may may have even been Connor. He's got like a Jimmy Cagney thing where like it's this old school thing that doesn't work for a lot of people these days. But for whatever reason, it did work for Caruso where like he's magnetic in this very over the top, outsized way and the way he talks. And you kind of go like. Oh wow! Like, what's up with this guy?
2: Yeah, and I think which is why I think he works yeah. better. I I feel like at least uh, you know Dan, you and I talked about him in the context of because he's he's also in Proof of Life, which oh, which we, we, talk which we about. talked right. about on the Meg Ryan episode, and, and like, he's
1: great in Proof of Life. No,
2: but it's a similar kind of role to Mad Dog and Glory, where it's like he's not the lead; he is the partner or buddy yeah. of of the lead,
1: and, right? And, and, and in, it's and, and it's a good slot for him to be in. And Evan, I don't know if you've seen Proof of Life, but similar to Mad Dog Glory, he's got all the best lines of Proof of Life. Yeah. Like every scene where he's like, Russell Crowe is this hostage negotiator. Every scene where it's like, you have the friend. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. I haven't Uh, seen it in 20 years, but yeah. Nobody has,
1: yeah. Like every scene where where he's he's like, Terry, you're getting in too deep. Or it's like, it should just be not a great scene because it's Caruso. For whatever reason you're like, oh fuck, dude, Russell, listen to your friend David yeah, Caruso. Like, he, there's also,
0: he is so good. There is a scene in Mad Dog and Glory, uh, for the the listeners, um uh, where he uh, you know, this this presumably crooked cop was beating his wife. Oh no, yeah. Uh, Ka- and David Kathy, Caruso. Yeah, Kathy Baker is the woman. Yeah, great yeah, actress. Yeah.
2: So. Kathy Baker, who was in Age of Adeline. Right,
0: right, which we covered, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Um, so for the three listeners we didn't lose during that part um <laughs> well the cat the baker heads are with us okay yeah so the uh so to all my baker boys out there the Baker, the bakery Cruz caruso, <laughs> caruso, caruso stands up for for baker and uh the guy he stands up to is like way bigger than him and, right and caruso's like like put your gun on the table let's go outside and fight this out like men and it he is so good that you believe that this guy wouldn't fight him which is saying so much because this dude is like has he looks like a on caruso yeah yeah yeah. he's massive uh and looks scary and caruso you're just like yeah, I mean, dude's got the energy. Well, like, I wouldn't mess with that wouldn't either.
1: You, wouldn't you credit Price in the writing where obviously, the so the title is they jokingly call Bobby De Niro Mad Dog because he's like a pussy, right? That's the joke, right? right? Like a, amongst the cops. And Glory is Uma Thurman's name, right? And um, what's funny, of course, is that Caruso is really the one you should call Mad Dog, right? Like that's, exactly who you the type of person you would call mad like 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 a small like a loose loose cannon cop kind of irish courage guy type of thing um but yeah i mean at the time so it's important to note all four of these movies were financial disappointments right like significantly um none of them made any money um and this was mcnaughton's first big studio shot right kind of came and went he goes on to make wild things which also has bill murray in it which oh, was I way forgot more, he was in that yeah way more of a success which bill murray is very funny in wild things people forget he's like the lawyer he's like very good in that movie um or like the handler or something um but i think at the time we've we've covered we me and connor were joking we feel like we've already covered the robert de niro B sides because we've already covered like this and we've covered other stuff that he's been in because you know falling in love with meryl streep he's been in a lot of those types of movies at the time this was like the first shot of de niro doing comedy this is like midnight run right like this is that period um and this movie got noticed because it was, you know, basically Bill Murray and Robert De Niro swapping roles, essentially. Right. That yeah. Yeah, was kind of what people said about it. And, it is, and I the, I mean, it is the most interesting thing about the movie. Well, yeah, I think like, Bill Murray, I think it is a good performance by Bill Murray yeah. as the mobster. I kind of wish there was one more scene where he was doing the stand-up that's not funny. I feel like you get the one scene where you know all of his mugs are laughing. I almost wish there was like Well, there's that one and, more, and then there's the scene
2: know. later in the, where he goes to the police station. Without no, I know, but it's knowing. like it's like using De Niro's joke and like that whole thing, which is also not funny. You know, it's like
1: and Evan, we were saying, don't you think analyze this owes this movie like oh. a, a residual check? Because that's kind of the premise of this movie, is like basically Bill Murray is a mobster, and the reason he gives Robert De Niro like the gift of glory is because his psychiatrist tells him he needs to be more like forgiving. And I just when that scene happens at the beginning of this movie, I was like, oh, hello, we'll analyze this. You know, right. Like, it's kind of the yeah, nugget of the idea. Yeah. It's, it's
0: crazy that The Sopranos is a spinoff series from Mad Dog and Glory. Exactly. Well, hey,
1: exactly. <laughs> the
0: the the
2: the thing to me about the Bill Murray performance in this movie and and to the De Niro performance, I think the reason they they both work is you you forget. Uh, how good De Niro can be when he is more sort of, uh, more sort of, uh, neurotic and, and a little bit bumbling. Right. And, and you, you don't necessarily focus so much, uh, as we've mentioned here on like Bill Murray's mean streak. Right. So seeing Bill Murray tap into the mean streak was actually kind of my favorite part about this movie in that. There's a scene uh, kind of, I guess, right near the end where De Niro ultimately confronts him and says, like, look, like, you got to let her go, blah, 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 blah. And it's sort of where they broker, like, the deal that drives the third act of the movie, which is gross. Um, But it's the kind of short of the ending. It's the it's the first moment in the movie where uh, Murray gets physically aggressive and he grabs De Niro, and he threatens him, basically.
1: Now, the cash value of her services to me, projected over one year, would be 70, $75,000. You want to buy her?
2: 75000 Okay. Okay. The money store is going to run a Founder's Day sale. Fifty.
1: No. No.
2: You saved my life. You can have her for forty thousand. Forty. If you don't have it, you can borrow from me. You can pay me back with a personal services contract. Fuck you. Fuck me. <laughs> okay. Fuck me then. Go to your credit union. Go to your bank. Go to household finance. Go to your mother. You got three days. I want 40000 or I want glory. This shit today, Wayne, this was fucking romper room. You like baseball? You get this straight with me, and I'll take you to some Sox games. I got a season's box. Forty and three, chief. And it's like a really effective scene because you just, you know, you just don't, think of him that way right like and even you know this movie's way less interesting or compelling and nowhere near as successful as I think it, it is on certain levels um if they are both typecast right like yeah they could they could both obviously certainly play each other's parts right and quite quite easily right um but it it's getting to watch particularly Bill Murray do these things that I think is interesting And one thing I was reading that I thought was interesting is they rewrote the ending of the movie, right, where uh, in the original ending, um, De Niro loses his fight to uh, to Bill Murray on the street. Right. And the reason they rewrote it is because test audiences like wouldn't accept that Robert De Niro would lose in a fight to Bill Murray and. I guess I get like when I read that before I rewatched the movie, and I kind of was like, Yeah, no, I guess that makes sense. And rewatching it, I'm like, I don't know. He's got like six inches on De Niro. Like Yeah, Bilmer
1: is imposing. Yeah,
2: like you don't necessarily and that's what I like about this movie is it kind of capitalizes on that, and you don't necessarily think like you don't think about him as a physical threat, and he doesn't even really come across as one through most of this movie. Most of it kind of comes across uh, and it's another reason I think it's a great performance. It comes across as that the, you know, the image of gangster as insecurity, right? Insecurity that just wraps itself up in a gun and like stronger friends, right? To just kind of command authority, right? And the threat never really feels like it's coming from Bill Murray himself. It's just sort of this power that he wields that is the threat, right? And I I really liked seeing that be able to come across. And I think he kind of captures that really well um yeah. and it's something i would i would love to see more of i think like
1: i mean he kind of does it a little bit sometimes like in the limits of control mm. he there's a little bit of that um you know he he can go that way just not yeah yeah i think he just chooses not to all of the time one thing that's crazy about this movie just kind of thinking of the timing isn't it nuts that this is only one year before Pulp Fiction comes out? Like yeah. Uma Thurman is about to just become Explode. The most iconic. Oh, wow, yeah. the, Isn't it is weird to think about that. She was so young. I mean, she was barely twenty, basically.
2: You have you to wonder
1: too. So I, I don't know if they, again
2: with these things, you never know how how real they actually were, or if they were just sort of wishful thinking or conversations or whatever. But in some aspect, it was uh, almost going to be Marissa Tomei. Interesting. And in, you have in to in this? Yeah. Or in, in, in Mad Dog and Glory. Okay. And you have to wonder if it is Marissa Tomei. You
1: couldn't have done that after my cousin Vinny.
2: No, totally not. But does that character, does her being in the movie sort of maybe drive more agency into oh, it? Oh, maybe. Right? Yeah. You'd have
1: to rewrite and, it. Yeah.
2: And and it's not, and again, that's not to say that anything that goes on with Uma Thurman in this movie is Uma Thurman's fault. I you know, she she does everything she's supposed to do just fine um it's just a a woefully underwritten character that actually what's crazy is it was punched up too which is interesting like she apparently yeah so she has her whole backstory like you know quote unquote sob story backstory um was added also sort of at the behest of audiences because they didn't like like her very much And it's just it says something so shitty about, like, the time that this movie was made that, like, how do you not look at the predicament that this character is in and not feel for her?
0: I mean, she's Um, just so she's like such a the only interesting thing about her is the backstory of, like, she has a deadbeat brother and she, like, owes a debt to Bill Murray's character because of this deadbeat brother. Uh, But like none of this, like. It, it, there's just she has no agency the entire time right and, and it's but like
1: it it it's
2: crazy because it's like how do you if you take that out of it right and it's still just this uh predicament of a woman who is caught in this fucking crate like basically as somebody's you know property right yeah like how do you not as an audience go wow that's horrible right like why do you right. need then, the sub like,
0: story to, to sort it of also, punch that up a little bit it adds such a weird element to the uh, quote happy ending of her ending up with Robert De Niro because it's just like, con- congratulations! Your like indentured servitude has ended, and now you're a full time employee of well, uh, of Robert De Niro. And that's the
1: other thing. I think one thing, the more of these we do, you know, so many movies have cops in them. We're gonna see this change over time, and we're already seeing it change. Obviously, you know, the portrayal of cops in films, where like. In this film, Richard Price can construct a world where cops are complicit with mobsters, because that's not hidden in this movie, played as a joke, obviously. Yeah. Where they know who Bill Murray is, but he's coming to the precinct and making jokes and nobody cares, right? Giving them them
2: the grossest looking cheesecake or pie or whatever it is that I've ever seen.
1: And so that can happen, and then still De Niro can be a good cop, quote unquote. And the girl can wind up with him and that's okay. Like that just doesn't happen anymore. It's not going to happen. You know, that's just going to change. And that happens, you know, because of stuff like The Wire, partially written by Richard Price, right? So it's like things change. And then when you go back and you watch these movies, it kind of does, it's a little shocking where you go like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like, like the whole concept was just different in popular culture. Um, I want to just, because we're running long, I'm just going to shout out the two other movies that I watched. Larger Than Life, also directed by Howard Franklin, who co-directed Quick Change. It's Bill Murray's dad dies and he inherits an elephant. That's what the movie is. And he has to like go across country to basically sell the elephant. I saw this movie at a drive-in. Yeah. I mean, yeah. first 30 minutes are actually pretty funny. A lot of funny Bill Murray stuff in it. As a professional film person, the thing I spent the whole movie thinking about is like, my God, this elephant, how did they get this elephant <laughs> to do all this amazing stuff? There's a amazing animal acting in the movie, like truly funny. And like the funniest part of the movie, the way I laughed out loud, is he goes up to a train, he's buying like a train ticket or like trying to convince someone to get the elephant on the train. And the guy, he goes up to the guy and the guy's like, and the elephant's behind Bill Murray and the ticket guy's like, You the guy who called with the elephant? And he's like, what elephant? He turns around, he goes, (laughs) Classic Bill Murray. (laughs) Very funny. So there's a couple things like that. Matthew McConaughey is like the villain in larger than life. Truly one of, and I love Matthew McConaughey, truly one of the worst performances I've ever seen in a film. It was like (laughs) despicable, unlikable, annoying. Like 10 times worse than Randy Quaid could ever be. Like I can't even begin. So I watched that one. You know, middling as it was, big, big, big flop at the time. I think, like I said, kind of the beginning of the end of Bill Murray, modern movie star for what it was. And then only a few years ago, he worked with Barry Levinson on um, Rock the Casbah, which was written by Mitch Glazer, who Murray works with all the time. And Mitch Glazer is primarily a writer. He directed one movie called Passion Play, which Bill Murray is also in mitch glazer wrote scrooged right mitch glazer's produced a bunch of movies that murray's been in so like they have a friendship glazer wrote rock the casbah directed by barry levinson it's not very good it's basically like bill murray's a down in his luck music manager who ends up kind of lucking his way into a uso tour in afghanistan and he takes zoe de chanel who's like his one client but she gets cold feet and then he by happenstance discovers a young Afghani girl who has a beautiful voice. But of course, because of the culture of that country, like they don't like her singing. And there's like an American Afghan, American idol thing. It's loosely based on a documentary called Afghan star. So it's like loosely based on a true story. It's one of those movies, like the nuggets are there, but the way they handle the cultural stuff is a little tough and they never really reconcile it. So I wouldn't, it's not really a recommend, you know, it's, it's, and it's almost like old bill murray trying to do young bill murray you know Mm -hmm. like the like which is kind of you kind of go like no thank you probably the most welcome presence in the film is kate hudson plays like a local sex worker but it's like it's like very like like sex positive you know what i mean it's not like a woe is me character it's like a very kind of like i'm getting my nest egg i'm getting out of here like don't cry for me argentina type of thing which i think is kind of cool but um Anyway, I watched those. Um, how do we rank these? How Evan, how would you rank these four B-sides? Well, Dan, let's what would see you... if, your, if your predictions held up. Well, yeah. I don't
0: know. Well, what did I say? So, Well, no, because did you like Where the Buffalo Roam, Evan? No, Not really. No, yeah, so. I did in high school. Uh, I have a history with this movie, uh, and there's a sort of sentimentalism that I will always be present for it. But watching it as an adult, uh it was it wasn't good it was a bunch of scenes that had kind of funny moments uh but ultimately like said nothing yeah um i i would put it so i personally i would razor's edge was my number one right then quick change sure uh and then probably mad dog and glory then probably where the buffalo room yeah, uh, think, maybe those two could be swapped.
1: Yeah, I was going to say mine would be mine would be Quick Change 1. I uh, really really enjoyed Quick Change. Um, Interesting. And I guess it's funny I the our conversation about Mad Dog and Glory has me kind of honestly rethinking Mad Dog and Glory and a more kind of a, a more critical eye if I'm being honest. Same. So I would probably swap I'd probably do a 2332 of Mad Dog and Razor's Edge, which I I liked Razor's Edge far more than I thought I would, and then a a, a solid four would be would be where the Buffalo roam for me. Yeah, what about
2: Yukon? I no, I would agree uh, with that. Basically, like I going into it, I was actually going to say uh, I was actually going to go in almost reverse order. Right, I was going to go quick change, Mad Dog, Razor's Edge, where the Buffalo roam. Uh, but both talking about Razor's Edge and talking about Mad Dog and Glory kind of has me rethinking, rethinking, rethinking both of them. So I think I'm gonna go quick change Razor's Edge, Mad Dog, and uh, that other movie.
1: That other movie, yeah, yeah. I, you know, final words on Bill Murray. It's like his whole persona is an interesting thing to reconcile with. Like we talked about, I think. A great example, I'll I'll, I'll finish with this, a great example of a movie I don't want to see from him in the future that I think speaks to the legacy that maybe could hurt future projects um, is St. Vincent, right? Which I don't mind the movie, but it almost does, Evan, what you were talking about earlier, where it's like we have Bill Murray as our guy, so let's kind of just lean on that and let's not do much more so i'm hoping he's making on the rocks with sofia coppola mm, uh-huh. I, it feels like a mix of lost translation and um broken uh flowers so i'm hoping that kind of does you know does wonders uh so we'll see uh but other than that i'll pass it to i guess you know uh evan what do you think for
0: final bill bill murray words so i i want to like bill murray i really want to like bill murray if you are listening uh (laughs) i will take you out to lunch we can discuss you uh i can i would love to be swayed but if you take the name and the myth out of his antics and i'd argue even like most of his performances like you you don't have a very likable person you have like Somebody who shows up at hipsters, some like a 70 year old man who shows up at hipsters parties in Williamsburg and right. throws their phones off the roof and everyone goes, oh, quirky Bill Murray. But like homeless people get arrested for that, man, like, <laughs> like, exactly. you know, and uh, and I think that
1: the payphone thing is the one that kills me, the like to offer him a role. There's a number you have to call and leave a message and you checks yeah. it every month. And it's like, come on, dude yeah come on or
0: like you know there's and and i think that his love for hunter s thompson makes a lot of sense when you look at his uh the creation of the legend he has made himself into right um by doing a lot of these like really entertaining stories and antics and things like that but ultimately as like a human being like uh, i don't know and then uh, his even his serious performances which like Love Lost in Translation, love everything he's done with Wes Anderson. Uh, But by and large, I I feel very tired of the Bill Murray character that seems to be in every Bill Murray movie these days where it's I am so detached and I'm being old is sad and I'm here, but ironically, like it just it it doesn't do anything for me. Um, Yeah. And it's not interesting to watch in the same way that early Bill Murray isn't interesting to watch because there's no change. It's just a person who is too cool for school and remains as such throughout the movie. And this is a person who's too sad for school and remains as such throughout the course of the movie, Uh, which is why Lost in Translation is great is because it pushes that. You know know, what's funny?
1: Your opinion of Bill Murray seems to be Bill
0: Murray's opinion of Bill Murray. Like when when you listen (laughs) to his interviews, which is why I think he and I would get along. Where he'd be like, "Yeah, no, I get it. Like I have to, I have to be this person all the time." And I'm like, "That's really rough, man."
1: His his (laughs) quote about Ghostbusters um, is so Bill Murray. Right? This is his quote about, about the first Ghostbusters. He says, "He goes right. He goes." I can really watch the first half hour to forty five minutes. There's some really really funny acting, <laughs> like just the idea of like that's it, yeah. like that's we'll all just, he in, said in that, in that in that Entertainment Weekly article. Yeah. Yeah. What I love about it is like that Ghostbusters is a movie, and I, I do not begrudge this to anybody that is revered by many people. People think it's a masterpiece, a masterpiece of comedy, a masterpiece of like what studio money. And I, and thinking can get you to, right? Like if you get the right people and you get the right words sure. And you put it together with the right energy, it could be Ghostbusters. And I get how that makes sense. But what I love is the Vankman himself is like, yeah, yeah. I like the first 30. It's pretty good. <laughs> right, you know what I mean? Like uh, Connor, what about you? Can I you close this up. No, no, think? no.
2: I, I obviously I'm a little, uh, I'm a little more positive on him on uh, particularly the latter half of his career than Evan is, but I would love to see him lean on. Yeah. Still lean on some of that, maybe that world weariness or that sadness or that cynicism, but maybe not in a way that's so pitiful. Um, again, I would kind of like to see him translate that into something that feels a little more mean. And the, I would kept trying to think of like, you know, who's the, who's the, uh, The comparison here in terms of like the things that they're doing, um, at least from genre standpoints or whatever that I would love to see Bill Murray slip into. And the one person I kept thinking of was Jason Bateman right um Mm. they they feel like very similar comparisons Mm. to me they they run i think on the very like the very very similar energy right like i think you could take almost any one of like bateman's memeable one-liners from any of his work and you could just as easily toss that to bill murray and get like can you not see bill murray look in a bag that says dead doves and then go i don't know why i expected. it
1: well (laughs) you're right wouldn't bill murray have loved to play The Marty character in Ozark. No, that that's kind of what I'm saying, and like
2: that's something that I think even in his old age, if you know, if he wants to, I guess he kind of can do whatever he wants at this point, and it doesn't matter. But I would love to see him. You know, I would love to see him slip into something like that, where it's like a sort of compromised, shitty everyman, or or even. I would love like a world weary, hard boiled detective or something out of Bill Murray. Like, like something that, that, that leans into kind of a, that, that charm, like a, like a Perry Mason type thing, right? Like, yeah. uh, I, I think you can lean into the charm and the, and the world weariness and it would really, really work well without necessarily having to resort to just the straight up sad dog like thing
1: them um, them, like, them offering him tony the tony erdman remake yeah but then right. obviously i think nicholson said yes and then i think the project might just be dead now altogether but that the the dad character in tony erdman is it would have been a great bill murray late period because it's sure, funny it's poisonous right but it's loving right you could you know there's an opportunity there who knows if it ever happens with who you know who knows but but that that's probably in that then that range
0: a little bit yeah i would love to see him do something like like spotlight but in the garfield universe oh my god
1: (laughs) garfield three exposing the truth (laughs)
2: all the president's kitties um, yeah,
0: <laughs> he he voices garfield right he voices yes. Garfield. Yeah. Yeah. because that is a funny story where he he this that script was written by someone named joel cohen right yeah but cohen is spelled differently yeah. and he thought that it was one of the cohen brothers and he was yeah. like oh weird but yeah i'm totally into it i'd love to work with the cohen brothers and uh every
1: time he tells this story i always think of that poor other joel cohen and how he must be like my god dude I, i'm just trying to make a living and, you know, his, or like, and,
2: and that other joel cohen must be like my whole career is probably a lie because how many people have worked with me
1: because they thought oh, oh Joel Cohen. God. well there's also what's crazy is there's also eton cohen yes who directed oh, get right. hard and i believe the picture holmes and watson who could forget those, yeah. those
0: pictures i was then there's the same paul thing. paul s anderson who did paul uh, Paul ws or paul ws he's
2: fine though he has like a career and a and a life all his own people love those
1: people love those resident evil movies
2: a director i would love to see murray work with would be pta i think pta could could direct the shit out of old bill murray
1: sure i agree great well it was good talking bill murray with you boys yeah always always good to see faces on zoom always good to Talk about talk about someone we love and hate. Much like New York City. Mm. The love and hate. The love it's and almost hate.
0: like New York City is a third character Yeah, in yeah, yeah indeed. <laughs> Agreed. Um, but yeah, that's
2: that's our episode on Bill Murray. Um Evan, what anything you want
0: to plug? Anything yeah, you got, got, going it, on? got going on? Uh working on this vaccine. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, Let us
2: know how that goes. It sounds important. <laughs>
0: Well, it's just tough because I'm obviously not going to inject my kid with it. But right. uh, if anybody right. has kids, they're willing to. I yeah. would. That would be so great. Um, I don't. I mean, I'm. You know, I'm always working on things. But uh, silentface dot or just Google Silent Face. That's my uh, the brand. I you could brand also Google Slend- Slender Man. Also gets right. To I was going to say Silent yeah. Face
2: sounds like it would bring you to some like creepy pasta stuff or uh but it's
0: yeah i do a lot of uh crossover uh Slenderman and uh csi miami um fan fiction actually so oh my god i love it uh, let's
1: get caruso i was just I gonna say right <laughs> and dan where, where where can we find you um you can find me here. You can find me writing stuff for the film stage. I've been interviewing some people. I interviewed another thing we should mention. I interviewed um, the talented director of La Llorona, which is on Shudder right now, Guatemalan film. Very, very good. I would, uh, if you have Shudder, if you if you can rent it elsewhere, I would recommend it highly. It's a very effective thriller film. That guy's going to end up doing a lot of really cool things. Um, so look out for that. And then the Hardin interview, I reviewed Dirt Music, I reviewed um, La Lyrona La La you can find that review from Sundance, um, Fathom is kicking, give us a follow, listen to some stories, they're basically five to six minutes, like I said before, Evan is on the most recent one, Connor's on a few, you can hear Connor's lovely voice introducing the episodes. Um, We have a few interesting ones coming up. We're going to put up a video, I think, soon, The God Pitch, which is a short film we made a couple years ago, which I'm really proud of. We'll be putting that up through the Fathom kind of you know, brand or what have you. And that's kind of it. I'm at DJ Mecca on Twitter. Give me a follow. Um, you can like our podcast on, you know, iTunes podcasts, anywhere you rate your podcast, give us a like, uh, and Connor, I'll pass it back to you. To yeah. And just to know, in.
2: you can, you can follow Fathom at Fathom stories on Twitter. And, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at scruffy looking. You can follow this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at TFS B side and, uh, yeah, Evan, thank you so much. It's so good to see your silent face
1: oh, and that's so true. Uh, it's,
2: it's so good to see you. I miss you. Um, and, uh, yeah,
1: I do. I do not miss you. No, Dan hates said.
2: you. Uh, just yeah. like, just like he hates everybody else. Um, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, thank you so much for joining us to talk, Bill Murray. Thank you dear listener for taking the time to listen. We still have our one last, uh, listener's choice episode coming up. Uh, on Toshiro Mifuni, so look out for that. That'll be a really, really cool one um, uh, dropping kind of at the very end of the summer. And uh, yeah, it's been great. We are giving you a big, big big hug, but remember no one will ever believe you.
0: More than this You know there's nothing More than this Tell me one thing more than this.